this is a bad idea. Like, I, I think my thing is like, I, I do defend WWE in a lot of ways about certain things, but when they do something that's bad, I don't feel the need to like dissect it because there's not like a complex reason it doesn't work. You know, it's not like they had a great idea for retribution, but the execution was a little bit off. It was like one day Vince said Antifa stable, and then they just had people show up on Raw dressed up like ninjas, and then they didn't even know who's going to be in the stable for like a month and a half. And they picked five random NXT people. And, like, it doesn't work. It's, it, there's no reason to, like, pick apart, like, where did this go wrong? The inception of the idea. From, from oh, Jump where Street. could it have gone wrong? Yeah, yeah. it's like, this is just, it, it was never going to work. But that's... Yeah, I, I it's like putting the cart before the horse to complain that, oh, this is a bad use of Mia Yim. Putting her in a Bane mask and having her be in wrestling black block. <laughs> Wait, yeah. so are we, are, are we talking about T-Bar and Mace? <laughs> my boys my boys flapjack the uh, marvelous adventures of slapjack god damn it. So, oh my so god bad. i love you know i just you know wwe has been boring bad for like 10 years and like we haven't gotten like this in a while and it just fills my heart with such joy that we can all come together and say that's fucking stupid and you know, like the thing is, if I if I do sit and watch Raw out of the whole episode, there will usually be several segments I actually like or matches I like and stuff, and I, I love a lot of the people on the roster. So like, you know, if I'm in the mood, I can watch Raw and I don't feel like, oh god, I'm watching Raw. But sometimes I turn it on and just I'm not I'm I can tell I'm just not feeling it, so I'm just like, oh, well, I could watch anything else if I don't want to, you know. So like, I yeah. just do. Um, and it was just really funny before you came on. I was mentioning that a friend of mine has a, like really doesn't like WWE, and uh, even though he's like a diehard wrestling person, and like will watch all of it and just hate it, <laughs> and will message me as if I'm also watching it, and and not like sort of like a prompt like, "Hey, you're watching Raw? This just happened." Just sort of like no context, like, "Oh, look at that arm drag," and I'll be like, "I don't know what's happening," <laughs> you know, like. Like, I know what's happening is that he's watching Raw and I'm not, but I'm always like, dude, can you just, like, start off with the assumption that I might be, like, doing anything else? Yeah, yeah, at least when I DM Shane, all caps, the Kobe Sliders, he knows that I'm watching on <laughs> cinema because we had just been talking about it. Oh, uh, with the Pilsner. <laughs> A little bit of heat. <laughs> These are ice cold. <laughs> oh, man, the the confessional episode after tim goes to prison where mark Proch is like oh yeah i uh, uh he's the other guy was the cook but i was the one that was going to the store and getting all the food and a lot of this stuff was stofers yeah he he abused me he uh he walloped me <laughs> i saw the like the movie that, that that came out last year like the tim mr america mr america yeah like and i loved it but i've never actually seen any other on cinema stuff so like oh Dom, please. I need to see like in nine months because it'll take you that long. I yeah, need to see your so YouTube. Daunting. Like, there's, there's, there's so over, much content. There's 300 videos, and like 10 of them are three hours. So like of them. And but the the greatest movies of all time, those Oscar <laughs> specials. I need to see your review of that because I think oh, you could. Dude. I think you could get a lot of out of that. It has been the best art project i've ever like deep dived into in a long time is on cinema i loved i loved the movie but the whole time i was like i know i would like this so much more 
if I had seen any of this shit. <laughs> like, if oh, I was like, <laughs> oh, also, uh, three Marvel movies are in the on cinema universe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, because because uh, he's in um, what is it, Ant Man? Yeah, uh, and... Greg, Greg Turkington's in Ant Man. Um, Tim Heidecker's in Ant Man two, and Tim is also in um, the Fan Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you could say that the on cinema Oscar specials are the symbiotoxplasmosis of our time. <laughs> <laughs> they are the modern out one. Oh my god! I stand by my take that I just dropped on Twitter about um, the quality of a rap album correlating with just with exactly how many skits are on it. More skits equals more better. <laughs> it's kind of like good that we're not like in a, a skit world for rap anymore like rap like i feel like a lot of new rap albums don't have skits the way they used to um it's just you know less stuff i to, want to skip, i want but... to hear what a lil pump skit is <laughs> i want I'm to, trying to remember someone uh, oh you know i think it might have been it may have been like tory lanes this is even before he was like persona non grata for like shooting meg the stallion but uh I, th- I want to say a couple of years ago, he released an album that was like 50% interlude. It was like maybe like an 11 track album, but like there were so many interludes. There were like three skits. of the tracks are actually at like songs. And he was trying, it was, it, was, it was going for that sort of like, oh, like, uh, we want to make it cinematic. So we're just going to have like a lot of tracks of just like the sound of a lighter flicking and then like someone exhaling smoke. And like a little bit of like a like a tone behind it, but now, is the it whole a, is it an album inter- was like that? Is it an interlude when you have four interludes in a row? Yeah, I mean, like, well, they were they were um, that's just a lewd then. They were spaced out, but like not like you can't do you can't do track interludes get track interludes. Like, you can't have I don't need that much between songs for any album. And the weirdest thing about this, in my opinion, was that he did this in the streaming era. You know, or like, oh. yeah, technically people want to have more, a lot of albums have more tracks because it gets you more streams. But like, if those tracks are like a bit, it doesn't work the same way. No. You know, it's like, no, the thing is you listen to, you listen to the skits because like, it was like the late nineties, early two thousands and you were driving and you were listening to it on a CD and you didn't have like the thing on your driver's wheel where you can skip a song. So you just listen to it. Exactly. And like now, what is your opinion of the uh, Logic album guest starring Neil deGrasse Tyson? (laughs) Neil deGrasse Tyson is the narrator. Oh, no. Oh, I had to review that album. Like for the little while that I was like doing album reviews again, like I got they were like, hey, do you want to do this? And I was like, well, well, no, but sure. (laughs) Um, And like I listened to it nonstop for I want to say four days for the review. And I, I just have so much actual hatred for, for Logic. Like, Wait, so you're, hmm? you're not into conscious hip-hop? You're not into <laughs> Africarian? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, like, so, Logic's actually You're from, not like, into albums loosely based on short stories by the person who like Andy Weir? Them. Yeah, like... <laughs> so well, I thought Logic it was the arrival actually, guy, but Andy Weir makes so much more sense. Uh, Logic's from around here, like, where I live, so, like, I have friends who, like, knew him from before he blew up, and, like, people are always saying, like, oh, yeah, he was, like, nice, but he was just so corny, like, you know, he's, like, 
you know, like, yeah, he's like talented, but he's just so irritating, you know. Logic, like, logic, I do have a certain amount of respect for it because I do enjoy a handful of his songs, but he is maybe the corniest. Like, I think, rapper, I think, right? like, the best way I can sum up my feelings about logic is like, I was at work like a year and a half ago and I saw like a really terrible day, I was like very depressed. And at the theater I worked at, the, had a bar, and the bar area had like a like an on like an internet jukebox. And I was leaning over one of the bar tables, just like just like end me, you know, just I, I just like how am I going to get through the rest of this day? I was like just so like just like not at suicidal ideation, but just like really really just far gone. And then that fucking logic song about suicide came on, <laughs> and I was oh, it was like I was God. I was so angry that it came on that I immediately stopped feeling any kind of depression because it was all replaced by rage. You stopped being able to relate. <laughs> oh my god! Like, so I've never been able to take that song seriously, and like, I'm certain there are people for whom that song is like saved their life or, or is really important or whatever. But like, the minute I hear it, I just laugh. It's like a Pavlov response. So yeah, logic sucks. So like, um, I've got a similar feeling about something else. I um, I came out publicly the week same love dropped. Ooh, nice. <laughs> so like. I just, I feel like at a certain point, I was just like, yeah, never mind. <laughs> Fuck it. Fuck it. Any time I think about that song, I just think about uh, uh, the Equal dude from SNL. <laughs> well, I think Igor writes from Popstar, but I also think of, um, like, there's like a, like a, I don't know if it was like a Vine, but it's like a short video of the dude, like Kyle Mooney, is that his name from SNL? Like the kind of weird looking guy? Where he's like dressed up like Macklemore, and someone is holding a video camera on him, and they're like, "Hey, can I get an autograph?" And he's like, "Not unless you're gay." <laughs> and the guy's like, "What?" <laughs> and he's like, "I said not unless you're gay." <laughs> like it's just, it's such a stupid throwaway <laughs> gag, but that's how I feel Macklemore oh was God. in real life that year. Was like, I'm only giving autographs to homosexuals because I'm an ally. <laughs> You know, like, you know that. Okay, so nine one one Bush knocked down the towers. <laughs> do you um? Do you uh? Remember? Do either of you remember? There's a South Park episode from. It's got to be like twenty years now. Um, no, I don't. It was know. like an anti-smoking <laughs> episode, and they had an anti-smoking like um, what is it? Uh, assembly to open the episode, and it's like so corny that they smash cut to the kids just like chain smoking outside of the school as fast as they possibly could <laughs> that was when i when i heard Macklemore, when i heard same love i just bought as many dmx songs on itunes as I could. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah the reason i thought of on cinema when you brought up that story dom was mm-hmm. that like y- your relief when you realized, oh yeah, I can watch literally anything besides Draw. That is the relief that I felt when Shane reminded me, oh yeah, you still haven't finished On Cinema when I was trying to get through the second season to The Good Place to like give it an honest shot. Yeah, so like, I, there's, when, when you're not feeling the show, you should just be allowed to say fuck it. Like, like I liked The Good Place the first two seasons, but like if I didn't, like it's so important to be able to go. I don't have to do this. This is hours of my life. Like, yeah, that is one of the most important things I realized. You don't gotta fucking watch anything, you know. Like, oh, someone's telling me I should watch Shit's Creek, and I'm like, there's no reason for me to do that. Oh, I... like maybe it's good. I mean, no, 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 I'm just saying. But like, I've never watched it before. No, and no, I have no because... reason to start watching a sitcom 
that's over <laughs> that has six years worth of episodes. That's so yeah. so much stuff. Like, I literally recommends to me like oh yeah. No, I just I literally yesterday recommended Neil watch Shit's Creek. You're an asshole. <laughs> because no, because all right. So because Neil, um, so this all started because we were looking up Hugo Award winners one like night at three in the morning. Um, yeah, like the award that used to mean something. Yes, and yeah. now is if for like three years in a row, like Hugo, the Hugo Award for best dramatic presentation like uh short form was won by the good place and <laughs> for you you were just like i i need to experience this i need to find out what the fuss is about well also and, the new demi september 21st video had just come out and i was like yeah i like this guy i like his work on youtube he is provably very funny to me he has made me bust a gut multiple times i should probably give this thing that he's associated with a solid chance after really disliking the pilot. And you did. You gave it a solid chance, and it wasn't for you. Yeah, I think, I mean, The Good Place, so I've only seen the first two seasons, and I was when I was ready to catch up, a lot of my friends that continued watching it were complaining about it, so I was like, oh, we'll just, I just will never watch the rest of the show. Uh, and it's not, like, funny, funny. Like, I remember laughing a lot. It was more just like, I like this. I sort of like the characters. I really like the, the premise. I like that they were basically doing, like, like an ambitious lost style show in the format of a sitcom. So I was, Oh, this is like cool. I like that they're doing this. It's like neat. Um, but like, there's so many modern comedies that instead of having jokes, just settle for being like charming, I guess, you know, where you're like, like watching the Emmys always reminds me that because it's like, here are the nominees for best comedy. It's a bunch of shows you've never laughed at once. And (laughs) that's the Michael Schur. That's Michael Schur to a T. His His shows are very charming. His characters are very endearing, but they're not funny. Like, it's, it's like, not there's, like... There's, like, a term for, like, the kind of humor a lot of these shows have that I think comes from the Simpsons writing room, where it's, like, the term is, like, chuffa, I think. And it's, like, it means, like, any kind of, like, joke or comedic thing that is, like, that, like, comedy writers think is, like, charming, like, to each other, but, like, an audience never genuinely laugh at. And, yeah. like, you know, if you're writing for a television comedy, your goal is to kind of, like, weed out stuff that's, like funny in the room but not funny like is not gonna play funny but a yeah. lot of modern shows just don't do that step they're like fuck it like we laughed i think it's great you're like, I, right, think it's I, cool. I described it as being like a sensible chuckles only show like the the joke that was like who died and left aristotle in charge of philosophy plato that, that yes. a sensible chuckle out of me. that's a good joke but that's, that's like a- mainly the peak yeah, um, yeah. That's the one joke that really got me hooting at the beginning of the episode that Shane recommended to me. And then when I gave the second season a shot on the strength of that one gag, nothing matched it. So there's um in season one or two, I don't fucking remember. The show doesn't mean that much to me. Um, there's a really there's one very funny joke in my opinion, and I told Neil this before. Um the uh, the the monk the I don't remember his name. Jason. And Jason and Tahani. Uh, what's her name? The the lady Jamila from... Jamila Jamil. Yeah, Jamila yeah. Jamil. Yeah. From PBS's so, The Misery Index, as that's advertised what I was looking during for. AEW Dynamite. I was going to say <laughs> The Misery Index lady. Um, he had to get her a gift, and someone told her, like, oh, she's really into Impressionist paintings. So he got her a painting of Frank Caliendo. <laughs> that's a funny joke yeah. that is fucking funny 
the I show that is that's like one of the sole like actual laugh out loud funny jokes i remember really digging like the fact that Kristen bell's character was like kind of like sort of like a piece of shit like she wasn't like a really bad person but she was like kind of trashy mm. and i remember thinking like man like that's kind of different for a show like this you know what i mean like i feel like these shows are always fronted by like charming sensible sort of like fake awkward people or whatever so her being like just kind of like it felt kind of like a throwback i guess like, she's like she's like a character from like a 90s show like she was just kind of yeah. like shitty uh mm-hmm. and like i think the thing that actually got me to watch the show was like a, like a tumblr screen cap of her saying the only two people she'd ever said i love you to were like Stone Cold Steve Austin and like a guy she met at a bar that she thought was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I remember thinking like, wow, she's such a like broad, you know? And like, this is cool. But then even even before I like like stopped watching the show, like you could tell the show was already going in the direction of just smoothing her into being just every other white girl on TV, you know? Like, yeah. And it's like, I I think it just happens on shows. The longer you have a show, the easier it is to like move away from whatever you established into just like shtick. Mm-hmm. Kind of sad. I just think I think all network comedies and all network TV is just written by the same collection of like blue check Twitter libs, so they all just sound exactly the same. Yeah, it's like it's like that that bit about how like all comedy is just sort of sounds like Joss Whedon dialogue now. Like I don't know when it yeah. happened specifically, but like I think it's when they took cocaine out of the uh, writers' rooms. <laughs> And like, but, you know, you know, it's it's people all sort of talking like like is this a thing like oh no what like it's, it's Geico like, ad comedy yeah where you're like I mean this is like sweet nice I suppose but like yeah I don't know. I don't Neil know Neil should we have on air our struggle session about insurance ads <laughs> uh, we have uh. polar opposite opinions on insurance ads okay in that in that I think they are very charming and very funny and i like i look forward to seeing uh flo and her friends every time aew Ugh. cuts to commercial oh man i love flo i don't like the commercials that much anymore because they're kind of running out of steam but like flo is like so the first time i ever saw flo was uh, uh bob odenkirk directed a movie um mm. called melvin goes to dinner and it's like uh, two guys I don't remember from anything else. Hold on, My- Michael Bleeden I think is like one of the guys who like directed like the comedians of comedy and some other like stand up stuff. And then Flo is like one of the actresses, and then the other actress is Annabelle from like Paul and Annabelle in a movie on TBS, mm-hmm. and it, she's really good in it. And like I remember thinking like this actress is like pretty talented. And then I never saw her in anything else. And then she was like in a progressive commercial and i was like oh it's the girl from melvin goes to dinner and then she's been doing that forever since yeah so the, like... <laughs> the two things that she did before she just became the commercial lady for me was number one she was in the first season of mad men as one of the uh the what's called telephone operators oh yeah okay yeah you're totally right yeah yeah and then she was also the rats off to you dancer from tom goes to the mayor oh yeah <laughs> yeah she was rats off to you so yeah, I always just get a, like I I think of Rats Off to you anytime I see her, and I get a little happy. And I really I, like I think her... the reason that I've sort of soured on Flow is that I think of like the fact that like just about every other advertising campaign has tried to create their own Flow. Like you've got the modern AT and T girl, you've got the the woman who was the Wendy's spokesman for a little bit. I don't know if yes. she's still doing it. 
It's Penn fucked State up. State they had Farm, and then now Black Chick from State Farm. Uh, <laughs> oh God, Chris I... Paul, not Chris <laughs> Paul. It, it's weird that like there seems to be a curse on people who have ads during NBA playoffs. <laughs> like Chris Paul is out, uh, Kawhi Leonard is out. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, I just I have a lot of strong positive feelings about stupid insurance ads like i really when they had this ad campaign where they were showing like an insurance theme park where they were like like progressive land it's really cool and then they would hard cut to nobody being online to be in it and just being like oh man this sucks actually buy our insurance i think also the 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 thing about insurance ads is like even the really kind of charming or like kind of funny ones it's like it's still an insurance company Oh so, yeah, like, it's the most they suck. thing in the world. <laughs> so just, there's always a party that's like, man, I love Flo, but I want I want that actress to keep making money, but these people are fucking awful. <laughs> at one point, Wendy's, to go back to something you just said, at one point Wendy's had hot Wendy, and then they also had like actual Wendy, like Dave Thomas's daughter. But like they were going on at the same time, but they never interacted in the commercials. They just had like they had like serious Wendy's commercials, like with Wendy the lady talking about Dave Thomas, and then like they had hot, sexy nerd girl Wendy. I don't think I ever saw a commercial with hot nerd girl Wendy. I just remember like the the Wendy's Twitter like being one of the really early oh, adopters yeah. of being like alive. Um, and then all the like sketchy fan art of like her getting fucked by the Jack in the Box guy or whatever. <laughs> oh um, <my> god. <laughs> um, speaking of that, uh. You also mentioned the AT&T girl. She uh, she yeah. gets the most horrendous comments on her Instagram I've ever seen. Yeah. It is the weirdest, like... She was going to be Squirrel Girl in, in yeah, that, like, show was. they were going to do. And um, she's... I saw her in something else, too. Oh, Paul Fag had, like, a show on the Yahoo app oh, yeah, during the last season of, uh, of, of Community uh, that was set in space. She was pretty good on that. Oh, okay, okay. I, I can't remember the name. Of it. it was called like outer. It was like called. Gee, it might have actually just been called outer space or after space or something. But like, it was like her and like a bunch of other like charming like you know early thirties character actors from comedies and stuff. And like, I thought she was in like go places with that MCU uh, action or whatever. But like, that's not happening. And now she's the AT and T girl, and people keep harassing her by talking about her milkers and stuff. So that's <laughs> milkers. No, I'm serious. Like. Some no, of the I stuff would just be like, here's a completely here's a completely chill guys. and non-sexual ad of a girl telling you to buy a new Samsung phone. <laughs> and then there's just some guy being like, like, let me put my fucking face in your ass. And it's just like, <laughs> it's an AT&T ad, guys. Girl, like, can fucking... I suckle those toes? <laughs> I think like, <laughs> when, when, so there was like... There was a, I remember distinctly like the day after that, like she was like on Instagram being like, this stuff is really fucking making me uncomfortable. Please stop and stuff. And some dude who was like, I don't know, his entire online presence is just like simp content had reshared the video of her and he was like, oh man, maybe we got to stop. And then someone commented like, isn't this you? And it was like, an <laughs> image of, I cannot remember specifically what it was. So I'm not going to do it justice, but it was like the, the foulest fan art thing I could think of that wasn't even related to her. It was just something he was using like to, to describe how attracted he was to her. But I want to say it was like a cartoon character, like sniffing a chair or something. It was just so 
so over the top. And like, it was just, just funny to me that, you know, in that little moment of like decency, he was like, man, maybe I've gone too far. And then people were showing like, maybe you went too far a long time ago and there's just no going back. I just, I have such a love and appreciation in my heart that we live in this time where like people are so open on Twitter about like wanting to see someone's feet, you know, I just, think like, that's, I think that's great. What's scary to me is like, there are people who are just being openly horny that way. And, like, you know, it's gross and stuff, but, like, hey, I respect it, I guess. But, like, there's also definitely people who are just doing this as a bit. And I think those are the people that are really <laughs> fucked up. It's like, you're actually sitting down and pretending to be this much of a deviant. Like, somehow, I don't know. Like, if someone is, is so horned that they're, like, compelled and they've just, like, their brain is just addled and they have no control of themselves and they just, like, post weird tweets, it's like, that's gross. Get a hold of yourself. But, like... Hey, it happens. But if you're just doing it for the engagement, like if you're not even really horny and you're just like saying gross horny stuff, it's like you're you're just being Tim Heidecker in the comedy. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, stop stealing horny valor. You know what I'm saying? Like, just horny valor. <laughs> oh, Mind your business. A... Get another bit. Oh man, that's we are so uh... early in the podcast to have an episode title. <laughs> Uh, it, it's like one of those little uh, lapel bars, but it's the Pornhub colors. Yeah. Oh my god. I got this one for BBWs, and this one here is for, <laughs> for Ebony. <laughs> Some sort this of, one, like, this one just has more. step this one has step written on it. <laughs> yeah, you can like stack that one in other categories too to like that's like that means like you're like a three star or something. I don't... Oh my god. So who's your <laughs> commanding jerk-off instructor? <laughs> um, I saw a... There was a uh, Pornhub comment that was going around a, a couple of years ago that I saw that said like damn, this woman's so hot, I'd consider fucking her, sucking her dad's <laughs> dick. At, like, parentheses consider. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a Biggie lyric. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Biggie, like, they, like, see, that's an example of someone like where the horny took them too far. I, you know, yeah. I'm pretty sure Biggie didn't start out that day thinking he was going to rap out sucking someone's father's penis. If but Biggie that's just how around, fine that woman was. He couldn't Biggie control was, it. If Biggie was around today, would he be a simp on Twitter? <laughs> I feel like Biggie would be one of those. If he was still around, he would be like. When like a like a video model is like on IG live and you see a famous person pop up in her comment saying something wild, you know, not like a tweet where it's like kind of in permanent in a sense, but like something where like you had to be there to catch it, you know. That's yeah. I think that's how Biggie would be. Yeah, that'd be yeah. I, I think if Biggie were around today, he would have taken over the Subway Jared role. He would have you know done some weight loss, so he would be the replacement after Subway Jared got got. L like how Shaq became the new Papa John's mascot. <laughs> <laughs> if Biggie was around today, he'd be one of those guys who would get arrested for jacking off in a porn theater, and then everybody would say, let him! <laughs> we couldn't even get six inches, now we're eating five dollar foot long sandwiches. <laughs> oh, God. Well, this is it's always funny... It's always funny when people game out, like, what dead celebrities would be like if they were still alive, and they're always like... Oh, their career would just take on a normal trajectory. It's always like, oh, like yeah, Ali would Ali would be like the biggest pop star in the world. And like Kurt Cobain would be. This, it's like you know, P 
people don't think about how often celebrities like arcs are like ridiculous and unpredictable you know so like there's a good chance like Kurt Cobain could have gotten like on like some really good like meds and like just be writing like books now or something you know what I mean like there's like there's like a good chance like John Darnielle yeah like <laughs> like there's I, a good I chance was like thinking if... like he'd be Billy Corgan <laughs> Kurt Cobain running his own wrestling promotion <laughs> um I just it's 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 like it's always weird to me when people talk about like like is it something you see a lot of old old hip hop heads do where they talk about like new rappers they don't like because they have colored hair and they're like what about Tupac and it's like if Tupac was still around there's a good chance he'd just be like in movies like yeah he would probably not act very often anymore he probably have like two Oscars like he was he was pretty good at acting I feel like that's probably what would yeah that's happened. what he was doing towards the end he was like like really pivoting towards acting. Like, I don't know that he would have been in, like, Are We There Yet or something, but, like, it's possible. You know, I wouldn't rule it out. He would have been in Uncle Drew. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I still can't believe I overheard people talking about Uncle Drew in the wild at a Coles. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of forgotten things from uh, decades ago. This podcast is recommended for mature listeners. It may contain descriptions of violence, thematic content, and immature language. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is mature listeners with Neil Kagabi and Shane Levi. And Coyne. Hello and welcome to Mature Listeners, an audio eulogy for the Vertigo Comics line. I'm Neil, here with Shane and Dom for the third part of our Doom Patrol series. I always think the uh, intro is saying "end Troy," like we have a third, <laughs> like we have a third co-host who just never makes it to the show named Troy. <laughs> end Troy. Uh, but yeah, this is the the final stretch of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, which went in directions that I did not remember. Yeah, it goes places. It's pretty. Uh, I thought this final stretch of issues was. Started off not so strong for me, like I was kind of like, eh, and then it got like really good, and then got really weird, and then uh, I ended up crying uh, in the last issue, and yeah. I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah. It was a lot, yeah, it really, tonally shit, it, it tonally jumps all over the fucking place. Like, you have a really heavy issue, and then just pure bullshit, and then very funny, and then just crying. I had completely forgotten about the uh, Fantastic Four t- tribute issue. <laughs> I was a little bit bored with that, if only just because, like, so many comics do that shtick, sort of, like, here's our throwback Kirby issue thing, and Grant Morrison is someone who you sort of trust to do it a little bit more because he's such a, like, student of, like, comic history and stuff, but even still, it's just kind of, I don't know how to describe it, it just feels like I've seen this so many times. That the minute I realized it was happening in my brain, I was like, God, I hope this isn't for the whole issue. Then it was like, nope, it's for the whole issue. This is the whole fucking thing is going to be this, this one (laughs) gag that like ends up kind of having like a sweet sort of weird moment with like the, the sort of off brand version of robot man and stuff. But like, it, it's just kind of a waste. It feels like a weird thing to do. It's played a little bit more straight than I expected. It's, it's not, I don't know. I feel like in any Grant Morrison, like long-term run, two like pretty constant things is like random swings and misses, especially like as the run progresses where it's just like, you know, randomly going for it and failing like badly. And then having an ending that is either like 
perfect, like the most perfect ending you could possibly imagine, or like just wildly throwing things at the wall because it's almost over. Like he, it's it's like you can feel the walls closing on him and him being like, well, fuck it. I can just do whatever. Like this book is almost done. It's not going to be as to write it after me. <laughs> and like, just, <laughs> and just <laughs> like his X-Men run is like that. Like it just ends with this random thing set in the future and shit where like the beast is like the villain. It's just weird. You know, mm. um, this is a lot more coherent than that. I will say like, uh, uh, should we like try to do like a plot summary explaining this or like, uh, yeah, like... yeah. There's like the Brotherhood of Dada bit where it's just like, you know, they're being wacky. They're basically being yippies. And, yeah, essentially, yes, yeah. And, and they're eventually murdered by the government. So pretty close to home there. Um... Yeah, and <laughs> well, then you, you... you have the uh, Jack Kirby tribute issue, which is like a dream that Danny the Street is having. And then you have the big finale with the the coming of the candle maker what's crazy to me about the candle maker stuff i mean we'll talk about i guess like the data stuff first but i just want to say this about the candle maker is like even though like several issues hint towards there being something going on with dorothy that's going to become like a big issue later like what ends up happening with the candle maker and how it becomes the villain and stuff is like not anywhere near what i was expecting i was like oh look this will be like a big thing later you probably like an arc, but I didn't realize it was going to be the finale. I didn't realize it was going to be like so much. This is such a tonal change from like what happens in that, that, you know, like the return of Dada arc, because like the Dada stuff plays really well throughout the whole series, in my opinion, like them coming back in a new form and like being like yippies and like pointing out the hypocrisy of like politics and stuff is like fun. And it's like this backdrop of like the core book falling apart. You know what I mean? Like that, like so much of that is sort of like, other characters like drifting away or like kind of being disconnected from the narrative and like setting up stuff for the big finale. And it almost feels like it's just about like the brotherhood for a little bit before like they reach their end. And it seems like completely disconnected from what's going on. Uh, and when I was reading it, I sort of thought, because it's like my first time, I was sort of thinking like, is this supposed to be sort of like a precursor to the idea that like the brotherhood data is like the anti doom patrol, but they're all like groups of weird people. So it's like, if these this group of people can't survive like is it saying is it sort of like the precursor to the doom patrol can't function either like is if society won't let dada live they're certainly not gonna let the doom patrol live and i'm like oh, okay there's like stuff you can play with here and then it just goes in this whole other direction and it's just like super fucked up and and kind of almost haphazard at times yeah yeah it is very like it's it's definitely messy especially with like rebus going to the moon to become an egg it's not as tight as the earlier like issues that I really love. There's a lot of there's a lot I love quite a bit, but it's not as consistently like tonally tight as which I it's very funny to say that about early Doom Patrol because it's all over the fucking place. But like yeah, but it does feel a little bit more like cohesive. Maybe cohesive isn't the right word. Like I feel like I guess my big issue with the finale, even though like I liked it quite a bit, is like. The Candlemaker stuff doesn't feel as important as the stuff with Niles. And the stuff with Niles happens, and then, like, he just dies. And, like, they like there's never really, like, a release valve from all that reveal. Like, I, you would think if you were building up to revealing that Niles was, like, this fucking arch-villain who's responsible for everyone's origins and stuff, that each of the characters would get to, like, 
react to that and like deal with it and it's like it doesn't even like matter it's not even like important to the end of the story almost Mm -hmm. yeah so like like i guess you know if, if if we follow the idea you know the cliff is sort of like the protagonist of the run then it makes sense that he's the one that finds all this stuff out he's the one who's like there for the you know issue long villain speech uh but then like he has to tell everyone what happened and he can't even tell them what happened for real because they're too busy trying to explain what's going on with the Candlemaker stuff. So like there's never a moment where the team comes to grips with like this figure who's like essentially been an important figure in their lives the entire series, not being who he said he was and being duplicitous and all this stuff and having killed someone on the team and all this. It's just kind of like, well, he's dead. Now we're moving on to this other thing I set up. And I, it felt kind of like hedging, hedging your bets almost like, uh, like I, maybe he didn't think that that was going to be like dramatic enough for the finale to have everyone have time to deal with that, those issues. It's just like, let's jump in like another big threat. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah. I, I've only read a little bit of the run that immediately follows the Rachel Pollock one, but it seems like a, a lot of the fallout of Niles betraying the team sort of seems pushed into that run for her to deal with. Mm. I wonder if that was a situation where like she had already been chosen for the book and they talked, and that was, like, a thing he was leaving for because she wanted to explore it. Or if he was just like, well, fuck this. Someone else can deal with it, you know? Like, because, like, you know, he comes, on, he comes on to the run having, like, worked out things with the previous writer and stuff. So, like, you wonder whether or not that was, like, a real handoff or, like, if he was just like, I'm not the guy for this. I don't know what to do with it. I got this Candlemaker thing, though. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, was not, I, I was not prepared for the kid. I was not prepared for the Candlemaker to be, like, the scary magic thing from like Dorothy's mind mm-hmm. that then takes over like a hyper competent robot. <laughs> and then now it's like a super magic being robot thing. And like Kipling's there, but he's like not really there for much. He's just kind of doing like shtick and it's kind of like just a lot. <laughs> and I mean, it's in a, in a sense, Doom Patrol's finale being the team fighting like a big, all powerful being without their mentor with like Jane not having her powers with like Rebus having gone through the transformation and stuff like it kind of fits, but like no one has any time to mourn this death that has happened or even really reference it. Uh, it's all just, th- th- it's, it's very odd to me. Like it works for the most part, I guess, because like the tone of the book is what it is, but it's, it's very strange. I wish, I wish the Niles death had happened like 10 issues prior. So to give it real kind of like, to give the characters time to react to that shit, you know? I think you could have gone places with giving that time to breathe, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I, I agree, but at the same time, it feels like, much with a, lo- a lot of the earlier adventures, the sort of confusion and being unmoored is kind of the point. That they are just completely separated from everything that has connected them to each other and to the world. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I think that's kind of why it works is because it does, how do I say this? It's like, it does work in the way that it enhances like the themes of the book. And like, it really does bring out a lot of character moments and stuff. But it is strange that these character moments aren't tied to this big bombshell. They're just tied to like, it's like at this point in the book, each of the characters is on like their own individual arc. Like Cliff kind of has to deal with the fact that like, you know, Crazy Jane is not like his like daughter or something. And she has to kind of go on her own journey for her stuff and like Rebus has like their own stuff and like it's it's just Cliff on his own trying to figure things out and like running around with Dorothy and whatnot and it's it, it's like I guess you kind of feel 
the how sad it is that they're so disconnected and like that when they come back together it's not like a superhero comic would have where like hey they all worked out their issues and now they're back and together better than ever it's like no everything is still fucked they're still fucked they're not cut out for this who knows what's going on and it's i don't know like it's it's just crazy mm-hmm. yeah and like the only thing that can really keep them together is danny yeah, yeah, and, and and as cool as as that is, and as Danny's role is, it never feels like it's highlighted quite. Well, I mean, definitely in the last issue, obviously, but like in the in the midst of all the candles maker stuff, I feel like Danny is used kind of as just like a like a plot device to like get them to places, um, and they don't quite do as great a job of like really running home that like Danny is like a very important member of the team and like the one that's kind of still there and stuff like. Uh, I think so. I I, uh, I have not finished the show, but I watched the first ten episodes over the last week. I had to take a break because it was just kind of like a lot to binge, really. Um, I I can, and, I can see that, yeah. And uh, I'm I'm really I don't know about you all, but like I'm really getting to like try to teach myself to like just because I'm into a show and I don't have anything to do today doesn't mean I have to watch it all day. I can watch stuff yeah. in chunks like a like a person. Yeah. So like when I start to feel burned out, I'm like before I just turn on the show for no reason. I'm just going to watch the rest of it later. Uh, but I feel like the show really, like what you guys were talking about, like it really does hone some of the ideas from this run and make them like simpler and like a little more palatable and at times more effective. Uh, so like watching like this stuff unfold, I remember thinking like, man, I, this is the first time reading the comic where I felt like, I wonder if the show does any of this stuff and if it does it better with, with the benefit of hindsight. You know what I mean? Like to have read this and like, come up on it and then to go 20 years later or whatever, like, oh, this is like, this isn't fully worked. Here's, we have to rearrange these parts. Uh, yeah, I, I think we've mentioned this in earlier episodes, but like the treatment of Danny the Street in particular seems like uh, one of those instances where they took something that was like, it was a, a good base in the previous version and sort of fleshed it out into mm-hmm. something that, you know, especially in its treatment of, you know, non-binary identity is more accurate to our, our modern conception of it exactly yeah yeah there's a lot of um there's a good amount of stuff from the show that i really enjoy that like i wonder if i like it better in the show than in the comic um one thing i, I won't get into the beard hunter i do not want to have an hour-long discourse about the beard <laughs> hunter again. i'm i'm uh. very as you all heard, I really like insurance commercials, so you can understand why I might find <laughs> the base comedy of the Beard Hunter to be endearing. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> one thing I think the show does really well, I really love their take on Willoughby Kipling. They do a lot on the show to really differentiate him from Constantine, which they really don't do in the comic. Because Grant, Grant, no, Grant obviously wanted Constantine in the comic, was told no, which is like, fuck you, I'll put him in anyway, I'll just give him a different name. <laughs> but in the show, in the show, they give him to uh, Mark Shepard, who is a beautiful little frogman, a uh, little demon, and he's wonderful. He's great. He is fucking great as Willoughby Kipling. Just, yeah, I like what I saw of him. I thought he was pretty solid. Uh, he is uh, consistently the best part of really bad supernatural seasons like i i I think what's interesting too is like in that first arc that kipling shows up in he's written like like exactly like constantine but then in this last arc he shows up in he's written like a really lazy parody of constantine like 
He doesn't yeah. even have diet. So in some scenes, he's just like, oh, I want to drink. <laughs> and you're like, okay, like, why is he even here? <laughs> like, I did not understand, like, bringing Kipling back. And he's not actually, like, useful in the story. Doesn't have any good bits. He's just, he. it's just like, remember this guy that we used before? Well, he's around. It felt and, purposeful and to a point, you know? It, it did, but I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't parse what the purpose was. You know, I was yeah. like. Is this just funny to Grant? Does Grant think it's funny to have a guy in the room going, "Oh, I need whiskey." Like, like, cool. This is good. I mean, there's just other <laughs> you can do other shit in these panels that he's in. There's a lot happening here. We don't really need this. Yeah, like the vibe I get from like a lot of the show is that it sort of does the opposite of what I believe the MCU has been doing with like comics like these. Like they take a, a sort of base story from the comics and they sort of they they sort of sand off parts of it to make it more fitting into the sort of MCU identity, whereas this takes a sort of base story and sort of builds on it. It uses it as like a, a base to work off of. Yeah. And sometimes that is, you know, really interesting. And sometimes that is kind of disappointing. But it, it always has the idea, it, it always has like at least the feeling that they started with something that they found interesting and wanted to expand on the interesting parts. Yeah, I for think, sure. Yeah. No, you go ahead. No, I didn't really have anything. I um, I wanted to say that I thought like, uh, Robot Man in the show. I think they do such a wonderful job of fleshing out like the pain he has of being Robot Man, where I feel like they kind of gloss over that in the comics. You know, like I think Brendan Fraser just does a wonderful job of seeming very sad to be a robot. Yeah, Brendan's yeah. great. It's such a good performance. Say though, I think in the comic, I feel like. I feel like they definitely do present like Cliff's issues throughout the book, but I think because of the fact that a lot of the actual in the in the mix of each of the arcs, like when the villainous threat stuff pops up, Cliff is so busy having to be the audience by being the guy going "What the fuck," and then mm -hmm. also having to be the one keeping it together and trying to like make the team be a real team. That I don't think there's as much room. F well, I don't want to say there's not as much room for it. It just feels as if. Everyone else's stuff is more complicated, and I think Grant has more fun, you know, having a whole issue devoted to, like, Crazy Jane stuff or, like, Rebus stuff. And, like, for Cliff, you only need a panel or two of him being like, man, it really fucking sucks being a brain in the body, you know? And you just yeah. kind of, like, get it. Uh, I, so I think that, like, I think maybe that's why there's not as, there's not the same feeling in the comic. But also, I'm realizing that as I read, like, the later stuff after starting the show that I just mentally put Brendan Fraser into the comics. So maybe that's why it worked better for me. I was just like <laughs> stealing him into the, into the panels myself. Yeah. Like with the sort of expansion of like Larry trainer as a character, especially it feels like they took this comic and were like, we have like the space of a TV show. What would it, what would this be like if he had written it in like 2005, if it had been like a post, Bendis decompressed comic. Yeah, and that's so right. You yeah. have these sort of stretched out bits that you know, are able to have muscle put on them. That's true. Like there, there's, I feel like way more time is taken with like explaining the characters and showing them off and letting their their like neuroses and stuff come to the fore. Whereas in the comic, it's like it's much more Grant. Like, I, like I feel like the show is like someone showing you this thing and taking your time and like unfolding it. And the comic often feels like Grant Morrison across the street, yelling things at you. Like, just like, this is happening. And now this, and this person does this thing. <laughs> and you're like, okay. I mean, 
you seem real stoked about this stuff. That's cool. <laughs> like, uh, I think I was watching, uh, I may have brought this up before, but I'd watched like that, I rewatched the Talking with Gods documentary uh, about, about Grant Morrison. Yes, and yes. There's a bit where like one of the artists is talking about how he doesn't really like, uh, like prime you for ideas sometimes. Like that he was, I think it was Chris Weston talking about doing a double page spread in, in, in The Invisibles. And the grand script was just like, and they walk into a room and it's full of mirror matter. And Chris Weston was like, Grant, what the fuck does that mean? Like, I don't even know what that is. And it was like <laughs> the opposite of like an Alan Moore script where there's like a whole page defining this one thing in the background of the panel. Grant's just like, this stuff's happening. And then it's like, no, no, but you have to tell me what that means for me to draw it. It's like, oh, you know, it's like this stuff. And this early in his career, Doom Patrol has so many moments where you can tell, like, he thought of a thing that sounded cool and then didn't want to tell anyone else about it. And the artist is just like, all right, I mean, I think this would look like this. I think, you know, like you can tell that he was like nutty about like the nano like machine stuff, like with uh, Niles yeah. at the end. And that whole issue was just like, man, like if this is a modern comic, I feel like there would have been like an artist would have had like way more like, you know, they had like, more digital tools at their disposal and they would have done a lot of weird things to like bring all this stuff to life. But you can tell that Case and whoever's doing like the finishes on his art and like last arc is just like, this motherfucker wants me to draw what? I'm just going to draw like a fucking robot. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on, man. Like this is, you need to chill. <laughs> also, I'm guessing by this point, he's definitely like into drugs and stuff because this is like post Arkham Asylum. So like, uh, there is a sense of just like being high and having an idea and running with it without really like testing it first. Yeah. I can definitely see that. <laughs> so do we kind of want to like, yeah, I, I don't think we've really done a summary of what happens in the Candlemaker arc and I'm not sure we can really do that, but I think we can try. Yeah. Sure. So, okay. So, so like what the Candlemaker arc sort of starts being teased out at the end of the Dada stuff when Dorothy is trying to explain that like, she lets something out and she's afraid of it and she can't really articulate what it is. And they try to help her with it. But like everyone is like, cause like Rebus is left. Jane's off on like her own thing. Cliff is obsessed about wherever Jane's gone to. Cause he's afraid she's going to kill her dad. Right. So it's just, it's Josh, right? The dude's name is Josh. Like Josh, like Josh Clay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just Josh trying to help her uh, figure out, you know, what this thing is and how they're going to fight whatever the, you know, the candle maker is. And then uh, he goes to Niles to talk about it, and then he gets shot and murdered. And then later, obviously, the reveal is that Niles is, Niles is the one that murdered him. Oh, this is one bit that I think is really great. Um, when uh, when Cliff shows up to talk to Niles and is trying to figure out what's going on and trying to figure out who killed Josh, and Niles explains that it was him, and he's like, he was nosing about, he was too close to figure out the truth. And Cliff is like, no, he wasn't. He was coming for help. <laughs> You're like, like, there's this thing going on with this candle maker guy. And like, Niles is like, oh, I mean, well, I did it anyway, so he's dead. <laughs> like, I thought that oh, was like, such a great Well, bit. nevertheless. Yeah. Like, <laughs> anyway, he's dead. Let me talk to you about nanomachines. <laughs> I, just, I love that. Like, I was like, oh, this guy is the fucking worst. So, that what leads into an entire issue of Niles telling Cliff that like, you know, he, his entire history is like a scientist and like how he needed to like further all his uh, like research and stuff and how like, he was almost killed by his arch enemy. And then like, you know, he healed himself. And that's why he was in a wheelchair, but now he can walk again, which is like, I feel like Grant has gone to the well of villain who could walk again at the end of the series thing a lot. Like uh, Magneto does that to like Xavier where Xavier's like walking again, and he takes it away and stuff. 
but anyway, sorry. The, 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 so he's giving him like this literal issue long speech about like all the shit that he's done that's evil or fucked up and how he's responsible for like everyone's bad origin and that he basically saw them as like shitty people who needed like these bad things to happen to them for them to become better people, which is fucked up because it's somewhat true. Like, you know, Cliff was like a piece of shit. And then now that he's stuck in a robot body, he like has grown to be like a more loving and like genuine person. Uh, that's, that's pretty terrible. And uh, he's given this whole speech about he's got this new like uh, artificial intelligence, like Android nanomachine being that he's created that just looks like a Justice League villain from like the 90s. And uh, that's when the Candlemaker comes in and like takes over the robot body. I, I still don't know why like what seems to be some sort of demonic being needs a robot body, but it's comics. So he takes it over kills Niles and then also like takes Cliff's brain out and like slams it onto the ground to like just just kills Cliff kind of and then Kipling shows up and they pull Cliff's brain out of like the cloud storage basically they put like a disc in the body so like Cliff's actual human brain is now fully dead he has nothing left about him that is human but his like memory is like on a disc in the robot body uh right I'm, I'm right so far yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and then from there they what like they they the team sort of comes back together to fight the candle maker and like it doesn't work because like the candle maker uh, has like infinite powers and stuff like this is a very thrown together villain because i don't it was like not enough that he's some kind of like jinn from like the hell space or whatever but now he's also in an unstoppable futuristic robot and he's and, just... and he's trying to murder the thought body of new york city yeah it's 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 very up there in terms of like the weird villains they have faced um mm. i remember at, at the time thinking like when i was reading this like man it would have been so much cooler if like the brotherhood of dada like didn't die and they returned here to like help the doom patrol beat him and it was like a thing of like weird offbeat like ideas versus like the cold calculation of future science fiction but nah it's just he just like kills stuff and like is awful and has like weird dialogue while everyone's trying to figure out how to defeat him. And uh, I think what and he like, basically dies like Pennywise in it too. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a very except not as uh, yeah. except he's not like bullied to death. He's just weakened enough that Dorothy can assert herself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like she's not afraid of the dark anymore, so he ceases to be or whatever. Which is like, all right, sure. Sure. He's not ganged up on until he turns into a tiny withered shrimp dick on the ground. <laughs> the greatest moment how, in cinema history. I forgot how terrible that ending is. <laughs> like, <laughs> we did an entire My Birthday episode was making Neil watch It Chapter 2. Only It Chapter 2. And yeah, we were was... eventually going to do the My Birthday episode on Southland Tales. Yes, absolutely. I've got the I've got that all queued up to watch. Oh, nice. Uh oh. I've never seen Tales. Yeah. I have a rip okay, of Okay, so after the Candlemaker's dead, uh, the nanomachines are still there. So Cliff goes into... He sends his mind into the nanomachine computer, and I'm not entirely sure how that works out. Oh, yeah, well, what's weird is... Because uh, there's a whole issue... Not a whole issue, there's like a whole... Is it a whole... I think it actually might be an entire issue of after the Candlemaker, like, kills Cliff, and Cliff is in the computer... There's a whole issue of him having like weird dreams and like nesting. Oh yes, I the, the Sean Flashbacks. Phillips one. Sean Phillips, yeah, Sean Phillips for that issue, 
And there's all sorts of just like stuff, you know, where it's like him hallucinating his Doom Patrol life, but then it's like his real life. And he's never left the robot body and all, you know, it's like one of those types of issues. And they basically explain like, oh, that's what it was like for you being in the database. So when it builds up to him having to go back in there to like stop the, yeah, oh yeah. Because like, it's funny that the Niles is dead and like everyone has to be like, well, why? Like, don't worry about it. Niles is bad. He's dead now. Oh, but it looks like he left some weird doomsday device that we have to destroy. It was just like such an afterthought. <laughs> like, oh, also Niles is still a, a present as a threat. But that issue builds to the idea that it's going to be hard for Cliff to like do whatever he has to do because of what it was like for him the last time he went in. So I assume we were going to go back to like the Sean Phillips style dream sequence stuff for him to beat this doomsday thing. But he goes in and then in the next page is like mission accomplished. Like total, yeah, uh, it, like, it is sort of like weird and anticlimactic. Uh, to the point that I was like, why even add this? But like, whatever. Um, but yeah, that's like how they they beat the thing, and uh, I I be- like I believe that that arc proper basically just ends with uh with Cliff like trying to you know figure out how he's gonna find Jane because like Jane goes. Like the Candlemaker like sends her to hell or something like in, in like during their fight because the Candlemaker has nebulous to define abilities. So it's it the book feels like it's gonna leave you with Cliff trying to figure out where she is and how to save her and how to get her back. Yeah, I believe like the end of that issue is the the Danny the World bit, and then the entire next issue is following Jane. That's correct. Yeah. Mm. And I have to say like that Danny the World bit at the end of the penultimate issue is what really got me crying because like this sort of idea of you know this this sort of like alternate world that sort of is sort of going around the world in search of people who are despairing and need some sort of you know vision of another possible way to live yeah see when i when i read it at the end of that issue it didn't hit me because to me it still felt like just another weird grant idea like it didn't it didn't it didn't uh connect with me at the at the time because you know like the way he had been writing danny for that entire arc felt very like from a sort of a like a you know like i need this character to do these things for these plot beats to happen type way so the whole him turning like danny the world i was oh that's like cool i guess but then the final jane issue of like her back in the hospital and like told perspective of like this like lesbian doctor who like is trying to treat her and like the hospital's like fucking infrastructure of just shitty people and all this stuff like the way it builds to like her talking about how like their reality isn't real and how this woman assumes that she just goes to kill herself it just builds to that in like such a really dark way but then when she goes to the bridge to do it larry's there and they take her to day of the world that was when it really hit for me mm-hmm. because uh i'm dumb and i didn't realize that, that was like where he was going to take it because like you know, because of the way that entire arc is constructed, it just felt like just Grant throwing stuff. I did I did not I did not anticipate an actually good ending. <laughs> so <laughs> I genuinely sort of thought like, man, what a dick! You're gonna really end this fucking book with this like girl killing herself? Like Jesus. Um, and and I, I felt like that might happen because of just how kind of sloppy the writing had to become near the end. But I would say those last few pages are like some of the best things he's probably ever written. So I was like very very happy to be wrong. I thought it was beautifully rendered and just like the word choice and everything it just uh, i was just so it was so good it was just perfect yeah for like as messy as this final stretch has been grant has like 
a, a nice knack for like stitching things up in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, honestly, man, uh, you, when it comes to storytelling and stuff, like you can fuck up a lot if you have a good ending, you know, because like that's what people are going to remember. You know what I mean? That's like, the most important thing. Yeah. Like if you have a really great story and then you fuck it up at the end, then who cares? What a waste of everyone's time. But if you like have some hurdles along the way and it doesn't all come together and then you figure it out and you have a strong ending, then like I'll forget everything you fucked up. I think that's why uh, New Japan has been turning that ethos into a main event style for like the last decade. And yeah, it's, it's working perfectly. really well. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was uh, La La Land for me. I was not into that whole movie. And then the ending was really good. And I went away thinking, oh, it's a great movie. Yeah, yeah, that that was me as well. That that final sort of dream sequence musical number, it forgave a lot for me. Yeah, I even remember yeah. half that movie because of that scene. I was like, oh, this is good. You got me. I, as you're talking about New Japan, I realize that's literally like my entire feeling about Hiroki Goto is that his matches are always kind of <laughs> shitty, but the finishing stretches are always so good. He's so fucking good at that. You know? La La Land is Goto. It's just like, I don't remember <laughs> that weird control segment, but I do remember when he fucking elbowed that guy's head into his knee so hard it looked like his head exploded. I remember that part. That was great. <laughs> oh, sure, so before be we go again. into our draft for this episode... Our, our final thoughts on Doom Patrol, both the show and the comic? Dom, go for it. Uh, well, I mean, I like the show quite a bit. I still have to finish it. I'll finish it, like, eventually. I don't feel like there's, like, much of a rush until, I guess, the third season uh, comes out. Uh, but the book itself, you know, I've been kind of up and down on it this entire run because it's it's kind of, a, like, an all-over-the-place run. But now that I've closed this chapter on the only significant Grant Morrison comic I've never read, like I'm glad I did it. There's a lot of stuff in there. I really like, um, it's cool to see him toying with ideas and themes and like stylistic ticks that like become, you know, bigger and later books. Like it was really strong. And ultimately it is, uh, a really ambitious book about just like, uh, otherness, you know, about people who like get left behind and people that, society doesn't always have room for and stuff and like ultimately it ends up really uplifting and and really sweet and it's it's pretty it's pretty good yeah yeah i i I share a lot of that like i'm you know revisiting it for the first time since high school and i'm finding that it's it's a a lot shaggier than i remember and it's a lot more sketchy on like queer issues like grant morrison writing that lesbian doctor is like i'd say a six out of ten on the scale of uh straight people really showing their ass but like you know a six out of ten is not that bad but like it's also rereading this it's like the first time i've kind of really it's the first time i've kind of really gotten what he's talking about when he goes into the sort of like superheroes and superheroics as like this sort of religious replacement in a sort of post Nietzsche world like that Mm -hmm. that idea of danny the world as like the sort of moving state of grace and like sort of momentary salvation. It, that's the first time it's kind of really hit for me. And I, I kind of connect with what he's talking about. Yeah, shit. Um, I really uh, fucking love this comic a lot. Uh, warts and all. And it's got a lot more warts than I remember from being in college and spending all my money on weed and comic books. Um, <laughs> it's really fucking good. The highs are just so goddamn high the art is the art fluctuates in like style but stays consistently great no matter what it's trying to do you know like 
early Doom Patrol looks night and day different than later Doom Patrol, and I fucking love both of that, you know? I love the way yeah, the it evolves. The weird thing I'm kind of noticing when I look back on it is, like, Richard Case kind of becomes more, like, image-y as things progress, and, like, sort of a little bit more in line with, like, the sort of image founder's wave of aesthetics, and, like, he makes it work. Uh-huh. I wonder if that was on purpose, or if that was just, like, a like a market pressure kind of thing. Like, did he feel like he had to, like, shift in that direction to stay relevant, or if, like, he realized he was doing it? I, it may have been that, and, like, uh, a little bit of, like, you know, the subject matter, the sort of fragmentation and chaos of this later stretch sort of mm. uh, facilitated a, a, a sort of looser, more angular style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, absolutely. You know, something I want to kind of point out that's really interesting is, like, I've always, I feel like Grant has, like, a, an odd reputation, like, within, like, queer criticism of comics, where I think because of the fact that he was, like, one of the, like, few creators from this era who was, like, trying to include that type of stuff based on, like, people he knew in real life or whatever, that when people revisit this stuff now, that we live in an era of comics where, like, there's plenty of people doing their representation for themselves... I sometimes think people are like extra harsh on things he doesn't get right or things that feel out of touch in his books. And they don't look at it through the lens of like now they look at it. I mean, through the lens of then, like they look at it through the lens of like now, like, Oh God, I can't believe like he's so bad at writing this or that. And it's like, I mean, I don't want to say like he deserves like credit for trying necessarily, but it's when you, to me anyway. And like, you know, I'm like, you know, when, when you read this stuff, it seems like really well-intentioned and that the parts that are like embarrassing feel more embarrassing than they do, like, bad. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, yeah. No. yeah. I feel like, very I re- strongly the same way, you know? Like, I yeah, that, that, that's why I said, like, 6 out of 10 on the scale of, like, straight people showing their ass. It's, like, it, it's it's not, like, Neil Gaiman writing A Game of You, and that would be, like, an 8. But it, it's, like, it, it's <laughs> kind of annoying. Yeah, I mean, and that's a vibe. I mean, I get, I get, like, the annoying vibe of it. I was thinking, like, I reread all of The Invisibles at the same time that I did this, uh, which is maybe not the best idea. And like, I could see more of what people typically criticize, but at the same time, I just, like the way I viewed it, I kept viewing it as like, like this dude, I know he thinks he is helping. You know what I mean? And like, there just probably wasn't anybody around to go stop or like help less or like, you know, help someone else do a book like this that gets this stuff across. Cause like, this just isn't for you. Like, I know that sometimes you wear like garter belts or whatever, but like that's not enough, Grant. Like, just because I you. Mean, like, I mean, like Rachel like, Pollock, yeah. like a, a actual trans woman, is following him on Doom Patrol. Like, the the door was left open, and we are getting to see, you know, what an actual trans creator is going to do with like these characters and themes when mm-hmm. we do those in our next Doom Patrol stuff. Yeah, I think you really need to judge some of this stuff like less like. Like, Grant didn't have a Twitter in 1989, you know? Like, for, like, trans teens to yell at him and be like, man, what the fuck is this? It, it is a little bit like uh, the Hunger Games' uh, Jennifer Lawrence, that that uh-huh. profile pic where it's, like, the grayscale picture and gay rights, but for, like, you know, trans rights, but he's in, like, 1993. Yeah, basically. Yes. Like, I, it, it popped into my head thinking about this because there's like a a real like childlike element of grant morrison and when i saw him in that 2000 ad documentary where they're talking about uh criticism of 
2000 AD is being very like masculine and like guys doing like big, you know, fucking their gun books and stuff. And it kind of cut to him being like, you know, like I've always tried to like, you know, diversify my stuff and make it more like that. But then people get mad anyway. And like, I just don't know what to do. And I just remember thinking like when other creators like say stupid things like that, I always think like, you're like an idiot. Like, oh my God, this isn't that hard. But listening to Grant say that in that interview, I was thinking like, he is like kind of like a child and he does sound genuinely confused because it's just like, but like, I made a transvestite street. Like, why don't I have an award? You know, like who the fuck else is doing that? You know, and like, and that sort of almost, and that to me almost makes his, his conception of day in the street feel like a weird precursor to the, like, I identify as like an attack helicopter thing. You know what I mean? It's like, like, I'm trying to show that, like, it's so out there that it's, like, a fucking street in a city is is queer. And it's like, man, I, I know you mean well, but I'm glad other people have gotten to take this and, like, shape it better and, like, make it, yeah. I think, a little more resonant for today. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I, I hadn't thought of that attack helicopter connection until you brought it up. And I, it's definitely not what he was going for with the, well, not at all, more, yeah more negative implications of that but i i can see the lineage because like i feel like if you ever like if you're ever looking for like grant morrison discourse on twitter and like you do like a name search you either see people who've probably never read doom patrol be like oh come on there's a queer street in it um like defending grant or you see people being like you know like oh no fuck this guy i hope he dies and you're like oh there's gotta be like a middle ground here like i just i, I think I think nobody can have kind of like a middle opinion, you know, because I feel like everyone's afraid to be South Park. So like, yeah, they, think, fair, yeah. they think you're not allowed to be like, hey, something's complicated when that is like, for a lot of occasions, a very valid answer, you know, like, hey, this was decent for this time. And it sucks now. But like, I don't know, you know. Everything fucking... is either classic or trash. Those are the only two scores. Yes. And it's fucking, it's ruined, like, art discourse forever, I think, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Th this is frustrating when viewed through the lens of the modern day, but, like, it's still possible to see, like, you know, positive intentions and also, like, draw out things that can be, you know, related to, you know, like, in a interesting way. Yeah. Man, I haven't read a game of you since I was, like, 17 and i thought it was a great like thing at the time and i'm so scared to read that again i had to read it for my graphic novels class in college how did it how's it hold up <sighs> i you just, you just sounded so much like jesse right there i mean like Jess, it, jesse makes that exact noise every time like an eh thing comes up it doesn't go full turf but like it's it's Ah, it, it's like it's kind of like on that line where you can see he he's trying to be you know empathetic and thoughtful, but at the same time, ah, the 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 way magic is handled in this setting with regard to gender is like traipsing on dangerous ground. Yeah, I when I think about it now, when I think about the things I thought at the time were good. I think now, and I'm just like, oh man, that might be a little fucked. <laughs> yeah, you know. And speaking of discourse, I'd like to get into our uh, the topic of our draft today, which is you know something that's caused you know, a, a bit of discourse over the years. 
Yeah, I used to watch all sorts of different promotions, man. But anymore nowadays. Oh, for fuck's sake. Come on. No. I'm a New Japan fan. Call me aficionado. For both the Takahashi's, even up to Toriano. I'm a fanatic, man, and don't you know that uh, I'm tuning in on every single road to show. I'm a shinny home freak, and I always stick with them. Even when I eat toe, lost the wrestle pink. From Hito Yoshi Tens on to Hito Oki Goto. I learned Japanese just to understand a promo. I'm a New Japan fan, how could I not be? After foreseeing Okada and Tanahashi at the dome. Nope. That's it. Oh <laughs> nope. I'm sorry, I had to put an end to that. I couldn't do that anymore. Dave also is not that bad a rapper, honestly. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, I I I wanted to at least get through the uh, <laughs> and what's with all the fire and emotion that the wrestlers are showing and all oh. the drama and who's this Suzuki guy choking Sakuraba? Didn't <laughs> wanna... get any better. Then I saw the Rainmaker against Omega, and I don't think I'm alone in my opinion. They did it even better later at Dominion. <laughs> period. Stop. Period. Stop. Period. Stop. <laughs> Oh, that's oh. pretty terrible. Oh god, imagine imagine skits on that album. <laughs> I take it back, skits are terrible. Yo, where's my fucking cage match profile at? <laughs> oh, you can't rate that album that Kanye. You can't rate that. Oh, I'm gonna load Yoshihachi mashes into a playlist and keep playing them and playing them and playing them. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, move on, move on. Karma, motherfucker, karma. <laughs> no more. All right, so it's it's G one climax time, and uh, we're gonna it's be doing the most wonderful time of the year. And we're gonna be doing sort of like a like a a, a daily fantasy draft. Like we're we're gonna pick four wrestlers, and we're we're gonna be going for like highest you know, match quality. However, we may decide that. Oh, like okay. So we're, we're not doing match wins. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Cause I have an entirely different strategy then. Okay. never mind. I'm going to have to re just give continue. I'll do this on the fly. I had a whole, all right. I did my math in my head for like a week. Like, all right, who's going to win the most matches? Like who, like, who does it make sense? Yeah. I, I do have my predictions open in my spreadsheet as well. But uh, that's just so I have a list of the people in the blocks. Mm. So I haven't watched the first day of either of the blocks yet, just to sort of keep my mind clean and not uh -huh. let, you know, the, the current state of affairs influence my drafting. I've, I've been slightly muddied. It's, um, it's been good. It, the wrestling, it's back, baby. I watched the first two days. It's, uh, it's solid. I feel like the G one's off to a bit of a slow start this year. But, you know, it was good. Good stuff. Yeah, and so, you know, for those who may not be familiar with the G1 Climax, it's a, you know, round-robin tournament. You're probably not going to be super entertained by this draft. <laughs> Maybe just skip ahead to the, uh... <laughs> oh, wait, wait. The vibe uh, check. Just so you know, just so you know, everybody, everyone in my pick will also be in a polycule. <laughs> uh, Come on, we, you, you gotta give the listeners what they want, and what they want are groups of men who like to fuck. Uh, I think your performance in last in the last poll blew that theory out of the water. Oh my! Why is what is it about me? I cannot. It, not, it doesn't even begin to like win a poll. Why am I always like I get two votes? 
Why do people hate me? I'm sorry that I like a vanilla ice cream cone, all right? Or that uh, I get a or I get a bottle of water at the movie theaters, you know? Sue me, all right? I'm that's sorry. Him, officer. That's the motherfucker who bought the bottle of water. I'm sorry that I said I'm sorry that I chose napkins as a draft pick. All right. That was, it was Jesse. a smart choice. Oh, well, I brought up napkins, but Jesse took the ball and ran with it. <laughs> why don't people, why didn't the people like Bimbo? Damn it. God <laughs> fucking damn it. Why didn't they like Bimbo? Oh, uh, they weren't craving your McNuggies, Shane. Yeah, you know what? I think that's it. I think you scared them off with the with the anime. What's the matter, Ronald Kuhn picture for Griffiths? Ronald Kuhn. God damn it! This motherfucker said Ronald Kuhn. <laughs> but anyway, it's a round robin tournament, two blocks of ten, and in this year's A block, we've got Kote Ibushi, Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, Shingo Takagi, Yujiro Takahashi. Taichi, Minoru Suzuki, Jeff Cobb, Willow Spray, and Jay White. And I do want to say, just to like get it, you know, said right in front, Will Ospreay did blacklist rape victim. He has not shown much remorse for that. And, you know, y you can't deny that that happened. It's like a matter of record at this point. Mm -hmm. ah. It's, you can't turn your eyes away from the truth. It definitely made his match less fun to watch. By leagues, by fucking leagues, it did. And B block: Hiroshi Tanahashi, Hiroki Goto, Toriyano, Yoshihashi, Sonata, Tetsuya Naito, Evil, ZSJ, and the little homie Taka, Juice Robinson, and Kenta. And so, I'm I'm thinking of a number between twenty and one. Whoever um, gets closest to that going over gets first draft. What kind of pervert starts with 20? Like, what kind of pervert starts with the higher number? Uh, 8. And Shane? 14. It was 13. Oh, so fuck Dom yeah! first draft. Wait, no, what? <laughs> Closest without going over, I said. Oh, god damn it, we're doing goddamn, goddamn, goddamn. God damn it. Okay, All so, right, so we're going for creating, you're picking four guys who we each think are going to have, like, the best overall match quality throughout the tournament, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, easy so pick. the draft order is going to be Dom, Neil, Shane, and it's going to be a snake. All right. Uh, since I get first pick, uh, I'm going to pick uh, the only person you can pick that you can always rely on for quality, who is never going to let you down ever, the ace of my heart. I'm going to pick Hiroshi Tanahashi. Because the G1, even though he's too old now, even though he's never going to be the same kind of main eventer he used to be, it's the one time a year he still brings it super hard. Uh, and having seen the first two block days, he already looks to be in better shape than Tetsuya Naito, who was younger than him and has worse knees. So uh, Tanahashi's my first pick. Uh, that's not who I would have picked because I, I saw his G1 last year and his match with Kenta. And hopefully he's in better shape this year than he was that year because he got so much time to rest. Uh, I'm going to be picking Kota Ibushi. Ah, fuck. All right. He's my pick to win the tournament, and I love him so much. I don't I think also, we're going to get an Ibushi win this year. I could say I can't start my day without a pick of Ibushi, or even just an ass hit by Taguchi. New Japan <laughs> is the best, truly. I hate you. I hate... <laughs> 
I hate you and I hate prices right rules. Um so yeah, he uh Kodobushi, um also I got a weird feeling he's gonna win this year. I think he's I think we're gonna see heel Ibushi this year. I think they're already starting to tease that. Um pure match quality. Alright, so my first pick, I'm this is going based on the first match I watched with him for the you know, his first and only match so far in this tournament was the match of the two nights. Um uh he's not he, honestly he's not always my favorite like i think some people overrate him a little bit but he fucking brought it so far i'm gonna go with uh minoru suzuki hmm, okay. um he really fucking brought it in his match against um who did he, who did he wrestle uh ishii and it wasn't all ishii you know yeah, uh, that that match is is gonna be you know pretty tight whenever it happens. Like that that's one of the the pairings that's like a guaranteed match of the night. Yeah, my second pick is my um my one of my favorite guys going right now. I love I followed his career for a long time. I'm happy he's doing what he's doing right now, and I think he's fucking killing it right now. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh Shingo Takagi. Yeah, Shingo is going to be perfect this year i think the fact that like he's a g1 guy now is like a dream he's just he can have really strong matches anyone crazy good conditioning like the guy's a the guy's a beast yeah he's um that dragon gate system you know fucking amazing uh i think if kota ibushi doesn't win this year i think uh this year takagi goes to the finals and loses i don't think he. i I absolutely have shingo with like a high number of wins Though I don't have him like in like contention I on think, the final night, I think that's. But what's I do happen. think that like he is in a position where they are really going to push him hard, especially since he doesn't have the never belt anymore. Yeah, uh, we've been uh, picking pretty heavily from a block so far, which you know makes sense. It is the most packed block. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, probably the the guy who I think is guaranteed to be the MVP of B block, Hiroki Goto. Yeah. Absolutely. You never, despite what some people have said about him, you never sleep on Goto. Never sleep on Goto. I think... Obviously, Tanahashi is going to be, you know, very good and try a lot, but Goto is, at this point, a guy who is basically only there to be fantastic in the G1. He does so little in the rest of the year that it's like he saves all his energy for the G1. Excuse you, you're talking about Mr. New Japan Cup, Hiroki Goto. That is fair. At Mr. Ladojo. Yes, of course. Uh, so, I Snake Style, I get two picks right now, right? I gotta do one. Okay. Uh, so, I had Tanahashi already. Uh, I'm gonna pick the other always G1 MVP, like, Tomohiro Ishii, who never has bad matches in the G1. Um, he's a He's just a perfect wrestler. And I don't think anyone has as good a record in terms of match quality as him in the last, like, seven years I've been following the tournament. Uh, guys guaranteed to always have good matches. I've never – I really can't think of a bad Ishii match. And yeah, then he's kind of like a, an obvious pick. It, I'm surprised he didn't go in the first round. Uh, I really was planning on picking Shingo because I think Shingo is like – as much as I know people want Shingo to be, like, the next, like, top guy or something for the company, I really do feel like he's just being slotted in as 
faster Ishii because of how consistent and good he is and how he can work with anybody. I don't know that he's ever going to be like bigger than that in New Japan, sadly. I think that's but... a fine role. I think that's a fine oh, role. Oh, you know, I think it's a great role too. But I mean, like, when I see people talking about him like winning the tournament, I'm like, that's probably never going to happen. But no, he's, I think his ceiling is the IC title. And I don't even think he keeps the IC title for very long. I, even I, think, I see I that, think but I look at, be... like, how fast they've been pushing him up through, like, the juniors, how quickly he got the never, and, like, I, I feel like that 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 speed and angle on his trajectory, it, it may go farther and higher than people are expecting. Yeah. Maybe. But my other pick... I hope so. Yeah. Uh, my other pick, however, uh, is going to be Zack Sabre Jr., uh, who's not even necessarily one of my faves or anything, but he's the only person, one of the only other people in the tournament who I know, even on nights where he's paired with wrestlers I don't like or people I don't think he has a lot of chemistry with, I think he will still deliver pretty good matches. So uh, that's my pick. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree about Z- ZSJ. He was going to be my pick. Uh, I am going to, yeah, you know what? I'm going to pick Juice Robinson. Uh, kind of a dark horse, but. He's one of my favorite guys. I love his you know, G1 performances just about every year. Mm-hmm. Wow, I was um, I was playing this whole round thinking somebody would have chosen him by now. Um, don't think I'm sleeping on him because, you know, he's... I, I People have his detractors, but I, I do think he is as good as everyone says. Uh, obviously, I gotta go with Okada, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like I'm in a kind of a... a not a down on Okada group on the show right now, but I, I feel mean, like a he's little, had a, a weird little, year. No, no, no. I, I, I absolutely love Okada like to death. I just think that this think... is going to be another G one built around him, like having lost to Step and like str- Like it just, I, I, I want to when he is not champion, he is a lot less interesting, and I want them to find something for him to do when he's not champion that is not just flailing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh like I even even that Abushi match, I feel like is like my you know, second be, least favorite of their matches together. It just he yeah, something something's going on with him. I'm not sure. What you know, is. you know, it'd be really fucking weird and cool. Um, never title Okada. <laughs> just just have him punch in the face a lot. Just have him go against all of the never title regulars. You know, just as the as the champion. Just have him have a lot of like real heaters with Yoshihashi. You know, uh, I mean, Suzuki is currently the never holder, and like, if anyone can have fantastic matches with Okada, it's that guy. Yeah. True. All right. Um. So Okada was my first pick. Another pick. I'm surprised nobody's gotten to yet. The uh dark horse for having best matches every year, and he always fucking delivers, Mister Toriano. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, I, I happen to like Yano a lot, but... I love that man. He's he's Bugs Bunny personified, you know? I, the thing about Yano this year is I'm looking at the B-Block field, and aside from, like, uh, Sonata, who always has great matches with Yano, ZSJ, Juice, I can definitely see having a good Yano match, and yeah, probably Tanahashi and Goto. I'm just, like, I mean, I just counted off, like, four guys or four or five guys, so that's, like, half the field, but, like... I think Yano Kenta is going to deliver. I'm... Despite, yeah, what, what, I, despite what Epidesis has said, I think it'll deliver. I I have, like, a, a whole expectations bit of my G1 spreadsheet, and it's divided into hell yeah, cool, okay... No, no, it's hell yeah, 
cool, ooh, okay, and Lamau. Uh, mm-hmm. Yano versus Goto is, like, basically the only Yano match I have listed as, ooh. Oh, him and Yoshihashi. Th- those are the only ones I'm not at least cool on. And yeah. then Naito and Evil, I'm like, okay, because I'm kind of tired of both those guys. I think uh, I think Yano's the best when he surprises you, you know? I think, mm. I really think he can pull one out on somebody you're not expecting to pull one out on. Like, a really good I mean, this isn't his entire, his entire purpose in the tournament is, like, one, to give the guys, like, a night off in, from, in terms of not having to, like, be grueling and hitting each other and stuff. And mm. also because, like, you know, Yano can beat someone huge and it's not, like, a big deal. You know, yeah, like they, yeah, they don't he seem gave weaker. Moxley's first loss. It's uh, it's interesting because I feel like usually the tournament is built around Yano being that role, and then like Fale doing it, and and like because he's big enough that you can have him be a threat to like heavyweight champions, and he could beat someone, and they don't look any weirder for for losing to him, but he can lose to anybody, and it doesn't seem weird. It's like a, it's odd that he's like not there. There's not anyone else to really fill that role. It's sad he's not there. I like Fale. I've never been a big Fale fan. But it is kind of odd to have a G1 with no really big guys, no Lance, no Fale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. DBS Jr. is in MLW now. Cobb is short. Yeah, he's just not big enough. Cobb's a, <laughs> Cobb's a chode. <laughs> in the most loving way possible. I People don't like Cobb. I like Cobb quite a bit, but he is shaped like a chode. He's... He's that perfect Taz-shaped wrestler, you know, just like <laughs> just a real, a real mini, a mini fridge of a man, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. For my final pick, uh, you know what? I'm gonna go with it. Tai Chi. I loved his G1 run last year, and I now that he's in the work rate block. I mean, he was in the work rate block last year, but this is like the work rate, work rate block this year. Yeah. If I had, if any of my guys had gotten chosen, Tai Chi was gonna fill in. He was, uh, the cop match from day one was pretty damn good. Yeah, I loved that match. I was pleasantly surprised. I, I loved that match that they had last year, so I'm assuming that this yeah, year's I think, match either. I think this year's one was definitely a little bit better. Uh, so my final pick, uh, I'm going to go with this is only sort of controversial because of recent events, but I'm going to go with Evil. Even though I hate him being in the Bullet Club, even though his weird title reign was like not very good, uh, and even though all of his matches are probably going to be plagued by some kind of interference, I feel like the G1 is the perfect place for Evil because he's very good at like G1 length singles matches. Uh-huh. And it'll be a really nice change of pace to see him doing that versus how awkward he was in both of those Naito matches. Like he's just not quite, I think, ready for like real main event style. So that's my guy for like actual like G1 goodness. You know, yeah, I, always... I evil is one that I'm sort of like mixed on for this G1 because like I I've loved evil in previous G1s, but at the same time he's coming into this with, you know, the Bullet Club connection, so my mind immediately goes to that one Tamatonga run and the the sort of frustrating matches that he had. It's and... not as bad as that, but it's like it's it's close. So that that seems to be something that really harms his draft stock. That sort of uncertainty as to whether we'll get G1 Evil or Tama Tonga in the G1 as Evil. Yeah. Um, So far, based on the match they had with ZSJ, uh, it's definitely better than like the Tonga run because he's just 
just generally a better wrestler than Tonga. But to have one guy in each block doing the Bullet Club shenanigans thing is like so tiresome. Mm-hmm. I'm just like so over it. It's not like it's not getting real heat with me where I want to see them get their comeuppance. It's just it's just like bores me. Yeah. And so far, it's happened in two very good matches that would be even better if those things didn't happen in them. Uh, like it's because like I thought Jay White um, and uh, fuck, what was that match on his first night? Who did he wrestle? Jay White. Yeah. Oh, um, Takagi. Oh. Yeah, Shinga, yeah. I thought that yeah. match was so good. It was even better oh, than I said last year. And, like, you know, it, then it turns into, like, a Raw segment. And, like, it's just, I don't want to see that the whole fucking tournament. You know, like, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't have a choice. Goto does what he wants to do. Did you all see that uh, Voices of Wrestling piece about, like, G1 metrics? About how I the... read part of it, yeah. The the sort of like how every single G one has had, you know, these specific trends in how like main events and semi main events lead to yeah. final yeah. matchups. I was I was reading into that and like it's scary how obvious that formula was for the last five years. And the only year that didn't perfectly adhere to it is the year Omega won. Mm-hmm. Um and this year, just the way everything is structured based on the schedule, we're told also doesn't fit it either because there's a bunch of deviations. So my money for the G1 winner this year is I'm pretty sure Will Ospreay is going to win the tournament. And for reasons we've already, for reasons we've already established, you know, I don't want that to happen, but like, it's very obvious that he's being slotted into the, the Kenny Omega, like chief Gaijin white boy role. Right. Cause like Jay White's kind of doing it, but like Jay White doesn't have the same sort of, you know, if Jay you look White, at Jay White oh, does not have the Jay White doesn't have the Kenny thing. Yeah, like Jay White, I like him now. Like I've I've become like a Jay White person, which is weird. Uh, but like I just feel like that's I feel like if Jay White doesn't win the tournament because he's the only one of like the big five that has never won, then it's going to be Osprey. Like I can't see Okada winning. I cannot see Naito as champion winning. That's just fucking clearly not going to happen. Uh, and like it's, Tanahashi can't win again. Like it's, it would be way too weird. And there's just I, – I don't see Ibushi winning because that would mean Ibushi's been in the finals of the tournament three years in a row. Um, and I don't think anyone's won back-to-back since, like, Tenzan when he was, like, the only guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really – and also doing Ibushi and Naito as the main event at Wrestle Kingdom would just be, like, kind of – like, they've done the match to death lately. But I feel like they were already sort of teasing tension between, like, Osprey and Naito before all the COVID stuff happened. That would technically be a fresh match. There's not a lot of really good fresh matches for Naito as champion. I imagine he will be champion come Tokyo Dome. And, like, you could kind of do, like, a thing with him and Jay White, but I feel like Osprey's the only, like, fresh person. And I feel like the deviation from the usual formula means they're going to elevate someone who is not in a position to have a bunch of mains and semi-mains because that's how, how it was when Kenny won. And is, if you're going to book him like Kenny, I mean, this would be the year to do it. Is Kenny, like... When Kenny won the G1, mm. he was at such, like, a blistering hot, like, everyone loved him. Like, the, like the <laughs> Japanese, Japanese audiences fucking loved him. I will, I mean, having watched that entire G1 live, I will say that at the time, he was hot, but I don't think he really got nuclear until the finals. Because that whole tournament, like, uh, he didn't have a lot of good matches in that tournament. <laughs> like... Up yeah. until, like, you know, like, the big banger with Naito and then, like, the finals against Goto. Yeah. Um, other than those two matches, if I'm not mistaken, I think the only really strong match he had was actually with, like, Yoshihashi. Like, Kenny, 
was never really like a G1 killer. You know what I'm saying? Like every G1 no, he was yeah. in, he was never like that good. Even though he called himself the best bout machine, he was never having like, you know, I feel like there are people who you could say that year round they're not the best, but in the G1, like this is their home. Well, the, you know, the like, thing is, the thing is, Kenny is the best with the story matches, not like the athletic sprints, you know? And which, I mean, he should be better at them, all things considered, but yeah, but like, I, man, I don't want it to be this way, but I really think it's going to be Osprey. Like, uh, he's facing Okada on the final uh, A block night, I think. Mm. And I, oh, do you think do you think that's going to be the big drama match? Like, who gets it, him and Okada? Yeah, I would not be surprised if by the time we get to that night, that it's like you know, if Okada wins or ties, he goes to the finals. But if if Osprey beats him and some other people lose a special match or something, then he, he'll be the he'll be like the 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 long odds and then it'll be like oh he'll it'll be him and like i don't know like sonata or evil or somebody or whatever in the in the final and uh yeah i think i think that's what's gonna happen i um i have the image in my mind's eye of um i don't know i i, I see abushi winning uh, now you've put the fear of fucking god in my heart that osprey is gonna win you've convinced me to some degree that this might happen which terrifies me um it's upsetting that it terrifies me because you know i used to be high on the sex pig i used to like him a lot you know before it was i liked him a lot when i just thought he was stupid like but now he's like just a a dog shit man you know just a real rotter and now i i can't enjoy his matches anymore Um, like i i would be happy if abush i mean there's not really any outcome in this tournament that i'm looking forward to i don't really feel like i have anybody to root for the way i kind of normally do uh, because Ghetto sort of just like broken me as a person, but <laughs> I I I would be happy with Ibushi winning. I just I literally cannot see it. You see, I feel is, like good. No, 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 I was gonna say I see him winning because I feel like the story of Okada Ibushi from last year was was Ibushi really starting to come back in that match and almost win when he became like. Um, you ever see uh, Cure, the the Japanese like uh, detective horror movie? Mm-mm. Like when he started acting like the, the like the fucking killer in that, just like that really emotionally detached like murder monster. Like fucking... uh, they've been teasing that kind of thing with Ibushi for years. Like the he has a history of concussions, so like he gets hurt to the point that he becomes a murderous like machine, and that's how he like kind of blows over and wins i I, think they can keep doing that but i don't think they're going to make him like an actual he like the thing is at some point tanahashi is going to fully slip out of being in like the big four and ibushi is going to take that spot so i don't think they're going to like make him heal um but i mean it could happen to be honest though if ibushi wins the tournament and becomes heel and he has to face like a face naito at wrestle kingdom that sounds weird and boring as fuck i uh the thing is, I don't think he'll become heel until uh, the match. Until, like, that match. I think it's going to be a face-face match until the end. And in my in my mind's eye, I see the ending of the match. I see, like, him go into, like, the serial killer mode where he does the closed fist, which is, like, tantamount to just, like, shooting someone in the front row in Japanese matches, you know? That closed fist punch. Like, just people, like, doing the owen hart voice while seeing but i think i think abushi is like turning him heel would be like so pointless like people love that dude they're not gonna suddenly stop like well i mean new japan heel you know like not like 
a non-bullet club New Japan heel, I feel like, is not, like, a heel, you know? Yeah, there's a little bit more, like, malleability on where on the heel scale you can but, be. But here's this match end that I think is brilliant. I think Kota grabs, like, a downed Naito, because he's just, like, closed fist punched him into, like, a bloody wreck. And then he does that fucking, like, murder finisher that Kota Ibushi's done, like, twice, where he just drops someone on the <laughs> crown of their head. I think he does that. 24 side. Yes, I think he does exactly that and just shoot kills Naito. And just <laughs> fucking... <laughs> and wins both belts. <laughs> I think... He, he just grabs both belts and look at, looks at them expressionlessly, you know? That's what I want. That's you you I kind want. of sold me on the general idea, but I'm not entirely sure that, like, Blood Runs Cold Ibushi literally murdering Naito is the way no, he, that it's he will be shake pronounced, out. He'll be pronounced dead on stream. I I was thinking something more like he becomes like the good version of Sonata in a character sense where uh, he's like he he's kind of like I'm, I'm trying to p- think of like the era of oh, BB Hulk that I'm thinking of where oh, he looks you know like Gact. You know who he is? You know who he is? I think he's work rate Festus. Terrible. <laughs> I think I think he is the world's greatest Festus. Just like he's the smiling, happy, go-ace baby face. And then he just I... takes a knock to the head and just turns into, like, just the expressionless, cold murderer. Well, but just, you know. I, I kind of want, want Ibushi to become, like, Blood Runs Cold Gak Ibushi. And then Sonata, to compensate, has to become, like... <laughs> He has like, to become Stardust Genius Naito. He has yes. to bring out the the great Sonata again. <laughs> oh man! Well, I mean, it's good. You know, you have a whole month to get used to the idea of Will Osprey holding up the G one tournament no. award and a sword and like some kind it. of like mage hood or some shit. I hate talking it. about going to get a cheeky Nando's after afterwards with his with his the mates. Fucking chicken restaurant kick. With his, no, it's really it's really cool that fucking Eggsy is the G one winner, but like here we go. With his with his uh with his turf bangs girlfriend. <laughs> I'm sorry, does Bea Priestley not have turf bangs? No, I mean you're right. It's, it's fucking it's totally baby true. bangs, you know? Ah, I, I don't want it to be true, but it is true. I don't want this to be true. No, this isn't real. No, I reject it. I reject it. I, I'm turning around. I need to reject this or else it'll happen. Goodbye, Turf Bang. <laughs> they don't exist at all. <laughs> oh, god damn it. I'm oh. doing this. I'm doing this for all my lads in the UK. I'm doing this for Robbo. I'm doing this for Jimmy fucking Havoc. <laughs> Jesus oh, fuck. Man. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Ghetto uh, and Mitch McConnell, two people whose houses I want to go burn to the ground. <laughs> Who's the little, um, who's the, the 205 Live guy who was, like, gimmick was the chimney sweep from Mary Poppins? <laughs> Jack Gallagher? Yeah, Jack Gallagher, he'll be his corner man. <laughs> oh, was Jack Gallagher one of the uh, guys that got cut in that? Oh, yes, extremely. Yeah, yeah he, um... Oh, 
Oh, no, he was one of the speaking out guys. He yeah. was fu- he was fired because, number one, he admitted to it, and number two, WWE doesn't see any money in him. So they're just like, get the fuck out of here. Oh, my God. Uh, he With did the something one guy to too. face consequences in WWE. He, he did something, like, heinous, too, if I remember correctly, they you know? They still got fucking Velveteen Dream on NXT, but... This one's for Velveteen, I know you're going through all the time. <laughs> just stick through it, Black. This one's for Matt Riddle. <laughs> oh, man. This one's for the big Omi Chris Benoit. Oh, Jesus, fuck. This one's for you, Jimmy Seville. You're looking down <laughs> on us in heaven. Oh, you cheeky fuck. Oh, goddamn. Oh. The, the something awful thread when Jimmy Seville, all that happened, was the funniest thing I've ever read in my life. Oh, I don't was... want James... Oh, what Jimmy fucking Savile. <laughs> oh, God. I remember there was a GBS thread, and it was, like, the day it happened, and all of these, like, it was a combination of British people being like, yeah, this was this was very obvious for a long time, and, like, non-British people learning about, like, nonces for the first time, and, like, learning about weird British comedy and who they suspect is also nonces. So they everybody learned about like guys called the Chuckle Brothers. <laughs> oh god, that was the fun that god, that was the funniest thread of all time. I gotta find that. Oh damn. Oh jeez. I hate Will Ospreay. Don't do this to me. Oh. I'm sorry. Only time can tell. And you know what? And you know what? It's fucked because you said it. You know what? You you nearly killed John Moxley because how how much you hated Kenny Omega. All right, do not put <laughs> do not put this evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Do not put this evil on me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a villain, you know. Oh, and I'm just imagining like Hangman Page drinking to calm Sister Toad, but it's dumb, just like with a big bottle of water. Just reminiscing on all the people he's lathed of heaven into injury. It's just, it's fucked up because it was one week, it was week one, and you were like, God, I need anything to happen to make sure that John Moxley, Kenny Omega doesn't happen. And then next week he got MRSA. <laughs> and you were like, I, I don't know, I don't know what I did. I don't know. If, I mean, if Will wins, it's not, it's not my fault. It will I be just... 100% your fault if Will wins. <laughs> You'll be his corner man. Uh, oh, I mean, God. you've also said a lot about how you don't want it to happen, so God willing, you'll lathe of heaven him into hayabusa himself. <laughs> oh, my. I mean, it's, it's going to sound like, it's going to sound super fucked up, but like, every time someone talks to me about Will Ospreay and they're like, well, why can't he get like canceled? Like, he's clearly a bad person. And I always say like, that dude insisting on getting larger and still doing the same flippity shit is going to cancel him before any promoter decides to have a heart. Like, his <laughs> knees or his spine are going to go first. And I don't yeah. know when that's going to happen, but, like, that dude is going to be like, oh, the finish for this match should be a triple moonsault off the ropes. And he's going to fucking land with his, like, clavicle fucking in his... It's, it's going to be... He's going to be like, like anytime someone falls on Family Guy, basically. They should... Um... And, and the crowd's going to be like, oh... And like, oh, Osprey's dead. Anyway, the winner is Jay White. <laughs> it's gonna be a road to eight-man tag where yeah. he decides to do a Dragon Rana despite being 280. Oh Can tell he looks like fucking weeb Shane Mercer. 
going to be somebody, like, no, I can still do it. Can somebody just, like, point Akatoshi Saito towards Will and tell him to give him a backdrop driver? <laughs> that was Bison Smith. Did Bi- was Bison Smith the one who killed Misawa? I thought it was. No, it's, it's Saito, isn't it? I don't remember. Alright, I'm going to look this up. Who killed Okada? <laughs> like now, you, now, you want, now you want Okada to die? You didn't do anything wrong. No, fucking hell. Damn it. If something happens to Okada, that's on your fucking head. Oh, damn it. I was Saito. It, Bison Smith was the other guy in the match, and I think I got it mixed up because they had a recent Misawa tribute match with uh-huh. a guy who was also tributing Bison Smith, who had also died in the interim. Oh, oh yeah, yeah didn't, right. didn't they have a, didn't they have a match recently where like somebody gave Bison Smith or Saito like the backdrop driver and just the audience was just like what the fuck? I I think I may be, I think you might be thinking of like the the Misawa tribute match that I'm thinking of because yeah. you know it, it was Kaito versus somebody and somebody did the backdrop driver and it had that reaction. Oh, you know it was a great one of the coolest moments in wrestling just like of like what the fuck was um when new japan ran okada versus um marifuji for the title after the like baller fucking g1 match they did a uh, title match between the two and they did it in an arena that was like very notoriously like a noah arena like new japan never ran there this was noah country and it was Noah fans who were in attendance, and Okada fucking ended the match by doing the Emerald Flosion to Marafuji, and the audience was just like, oh, fuck you. Actually, God fuck damn. you. King oh, man. Look I, I recently that. rewatched the uh, Kawada Misawa match from 1994. Oh, the and greatest I, match I'm imagining time. the ending of that match, like the reaction with like the fans mobbing the ring, but with the fans mobbing the ring to get Okada's fucking head on a bike. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that is the best match of all time, by the way. That's like it, just... it rules. After so many like months of either no crowds or very small crowds, just hearing an entire arena go fucking hog bonkers. As the the fucking announcer loses his voice and comes in his pants, it, Misawa, it was so refreshing. Misawa Kawada is like is what people think Okada Tanahashi really is. You know, like it is two guys who like I don't I don't think they like I don't think they liked each other really. They fucking did. They've no they knew each other since they were like four, and they hated each other their entire lives. And then like when Misawa died. Like, Kawada was just like, oh, I don't have any passion for wrestling anymore. He was the only person I wanted to fight anymore, and now he's gone. Like, that is, like, one of the most fascinating relationships in wrestling ever. Like, historically, was the relationship between Misawa and Kawada. Uh, I, I thought of that because of that uh, Freudian slip where you said Okada instead of Misawa. Ah, uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But to be fair, if anyone in modern wrestling is that kind of figure, it's Toriano. <laughs> yep. What if Toriano just came out with the emerald green tights one night and just started and just took like the um took like the uh, corner pad and started doing Masawa spots to it? Amazing. Oh god. Okay, I I'm done riffing on this. I'm done riffing on sad dead wrestlers. 
All right. Uh, can we go to the vibe check? Yeah, let's let's check some vibes. Check your vibe at the door. Oh, Dom, what have you been vibing recently? Uh, man, I, re- I should have thought this through. I haven't really been enjoying much of anything, uh, <laughs> like at all. Oh, uh, this is, it's been almost a week, but I, I binged all of People vs. OJ, and oh, uh, yeah. I'm so late to this show, but it's like, to me, the platonic ideal of television now, like, it's such a serious, like, stuffy prestige drama about a completely fucking absurd ridiculous thing that really happened Uh and it's the perfect to me that's just tv like i don't i I love you know well-written well-directed well-acted shows that are like about something but i also love just goofy shit and like that entire trial is goofy shit and david schwimmer as robert kardashian as the only person who believes oj uh, getting his heart broken when he realizes his his only friend, the Juice, is a murderer, is like the greatest shit I've ever seen. Like I, that show is just fucking stellar. I don't know, something about it was so comforting. Uh, I think, and I don't know why, but just it, I was just like, yeah, this is this is it. A lot of TV shows to me are like too goofy to the point that I don't care about them, or so serious that I can't take them seriously. And this was like that real sweet spot. You know what show that is? You know what show you're describing right now is? fucking hbo perry mason <laughs> yeah no watch that <laughs> that is it is so fucking serious like okay so i like the show because i really like fucking 30s cool set pieces and shit like that and this show has like all of the budget in the world for like beautiful ass sets and like just it looks beautiful and it's taking you know Perry Mason, your grandma's favorite show, and turning it into like sex and drugs. It's fucking great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so out. goofy. It's so fucking dumb, you know? I love it. Um, I one time was in uh the grocery store and I was standing in line at the the what's it called, the checkout, like waiting, and I was looking at the magazines and I saw um one of the National Enquirer type like magazines and the Full cover was like OJ is Chloe's father. <laughs> Could be, and that's just that's that's stuck with me for so fucking long. Could be. Could be. <laughs> I, I do love People versus OJ. I <laughs> like that, I, and the Versace show are kind of like the, and Pose are like the only Ryan Murphy stuff I can stand. I really liked uh, Feud Betty and Joan. I like that one. I a lot. still haven't seen that one. That one's great. That one's real. That that toes the line between stuffy Ryan Murphy and serious Ryan Murphy in a very fun way, or stuffy and silly. Uh, and Shane, was that your vibe check? The HBO Perry Mason? No, God, no, no, fuck that, no, no. My my uh, vibed check is um, it's a thing I've had a vibe check as before, but I finally like almost finished it. Is on cinema. Um, I took a break for a while because I watched so much in such a short amount of time. I took like, a couple month break and I was laying around depressed one day as I want to do in, you know, I can't even blame it on COVID. It's just what my life is. Um, and I was just like, oh, I know what I can distract myself with on cinema. And I went back to it and it's still fucking great. It's consistently great. Um, I've watched a number of the Oscar specials. I've gone through at least four in the last, like, seven days. 
like just powering through them. And I keep thinking like, oh, this is going to be the one where it starts to not be as good as the others. But the last one I watched, which was I watched it right before like doing the podcast was fucking amazing. And now I only the only one I have left is uh, this year's one like that this year's uh oscar special and like maybe like six or seven on cinema like youtube video episodes are what i have left and it's sad to come to an end but now i'm thinking like oh now i can rewatch it and like skip over like decker you know if i want to like i can skip over some stuff that i i can't imagine skipping over the the majesty that is Decker, okay, Decker, so, colon, Port of Call, colon, Hawaii, or Decker versus Dracula? I love Decker. I really do love Decker. I don't like being forced to watch Decker, you know? So, like, I have the same opinion about Decker and On Cinema as I have is, um, with uh, Watchmen and Tales of the Black Freighter. Like, I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool. I think it's really interesting. I love the way it plays with the whole story. Um, and reading it on its own, I think it's amazing. But if I just want to read Watchmen, I skip over the fucking pirate shit. Uh, I, Decker is exactly as important to the Tim Heidecker arc as Black Freighter is to Adrian Veidt. You could say that Tim Heidecker of On Cinema is the Adrian Vite of our time. Exactly. I would say that. Uh, President Davison, what do you think I am? Some sort of Republic serial villain? I did uh, 35 minutes ago. <laughs> you got you gotta watch you gotta watch the um all the the new on cinema Oscar special, I think it's called. <laughs> Fucking there's so much great QAnon shit. <laughs> Because this is the first year they're making it where QAnon is a thing, and they just, they have a ball It feels it. like a thing that is exactly in Tim's wheelhouse. It feels like something he is, like, perfect for. It's his hole. It was made for him. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I could go an hour talking about um, how Greg is the greatest TV character of all time. Um, I hate him. I hate him. I get so angry whenever I see him. But... I think he's one of the greatest characters of all time. I think he's uh, a Rorschach test for a lot of people. And for me, he, he's a tragic figure to rival Tony Soprano. No, he is. He is a fucking, he is an actual like Shakespeare. I think they're both Shakespearean tragedy characters, Tim and uh, Greg, but like different types. So like Greg has so much, I wouldn't say he has passion for film. I think he's a narcissist. I think he's as much of a narcissist as Tim is, but just different, you know? He's a very different type of narcissist. He's a very uh, quiet narcissist. He's got the Chaplin disease, as uh, Orson Welles once said about Woody Allen. Like, he's got this, like... almost said Woody Allen. God fucking God! I thought we could get past it. Thought we could get past it. Thought we could fucking get past it. I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't really say it. I didn't say it that much. We could just move past it, and I can say my goddamn point. But no! No! God damn it! God, gun emoji, you know? <laughs> like I was saying, he is a very, um, like, quietly smug character, you know? Very, like, what 
the thing is he doesn't care about cinema as much as he cares about people knowing that he is the master of cinema even though and it's funny because he's fucking not he's very stupid he's like very to say he has a surface level knowledge of movies is not accurate because it's often like surface level implies that you know the surface level thing he like makes he makes up weird facts that aren't true like um in the jaws one in the the fifth annual uh oscar special or sixth in the sixth annual annual one um no fifth uh he makes the connection and he insists that he insists to everybody for hours that jaws like the official jaws the unofficial official jaws 2 is close encounters (laughs) of the third kind and he spends so much time talking about it and like his thesis is so fucking stupid his thesis is essentially Richard Dreyfus is in both of them. <laughs> he is the guy that thought Bob Geldof was in the wall. Yes. Oh my god. He thinks he thinks uh, Rosebud is the last line of Citizen Kane. <laughs> he thinks Star Trek 2 took place in San Francisco. <laughs> and he argued with the writer and the director of Star Trek 4 about it. Saying he doesn't understand uh, his own movie. I the, the vibe I get from Greg and Tim is that Tim is the dad from Moral Laurel, and Greg is the mom from Moral Laurel. That's perfect. That's fucking perfect. Uh, so yeah, that's my vibe check. Uh, oh, thank God. The greatest song ever. Did you get to the part where they play They Are Yet? Oh yeah, Empty Bottle. I yes. that remix of Empty Bottle like plays in my head at all times. Like, last an Empty Bottle. Oh, Empty okay. Bottle is is such a, a thing of beauty. Uh, one small thing that I hadn't noticed on my first time around, but like when watching clips, I realized um, Oscar Oscar Fever the year that Decker or the year Dakar became a thing and they performed Oscar Fever on the Oscar special, was to the exact same tempo and, like, song structure as Empty Bottle. Because that's <laughs> literally the only song they know how to play. <laughs> it kind of is, yeah. Who's gonna win? Who's gonna win? Who's gonna win? <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, God. I... I... I, I can't believe that, like, Chris Jericho has become Tim Heidecker from On Cinema as, like, the main heel of a wrestling promotion he's and a, made it work. He's a combination of uh, Tim Heidecker in On Cinema, and he's also um, Kenny Powers from Eastbound and Down. Mm, yeah, like, he's absolutely that kind of a character, and he's, he's it's just great, you know? Ugh. Well, I've right, also well, been enjoying on cinema a lot, but that that's Shane's vibe check for the week. I'm gonna say the, my vibe check for the week is uh, one. I've been getting back into uh, the Friends of Ringo Ishikawa, which is basically just a vibes simulator. You're just like a dirtbag teen going through senior year, and you just walk around. Maybe go to class. Maybe don't go to class. Maybe you just sit and read Ulysses in a diner for a, an entire day. No, this is a uh, a manga. 
or a uh, game? Uh, this is a game. It's currently available for you know PC, Nintendo Switch, probably PS4 and Xbox. Oh, okay, all right. It's like a in the style of like a River City Ransom, but it's just Ooh. like. Ooh, I love uh, that's one of my favorite games of all time is uh, I love River City Ransom and I also love Scott Pilgrim, which is also coming back out for the Switch. You know, I love that kind of game. Yeah. And something else that I've started playing recently is Moon Remix RPG, which is this game from Japan in the mid 90s that never got it never got localized. I don't think it even got fan translated. Uh, but it got released this year with uh, you know, full localization by uh, formerly of Kotaku, you know, currently of Action Button, Tim Rogers. And it, I could tell, even if, you, if, even if I hadn't heard beforehand that he had done localization, by the time I, I heard someone say, oh, I, I gotta look this, this fucking phrasing up because it is just so perfect. Um, just for everyone to know, uh, Moon is a heavy, heavy influence on Undertale. It's like, mm. it's like late 90s Undertale, essentially. You befriend, yeah. like, you befriend monsters out in the world, you know? Yeah, you, you get sucked into the TV, uh, playing, uh, you know, a Final Fantasy type video game, and you end up being like this kid that's following around the main hero as he causes, you know mischief and nonsense but the line that i'm specifically thinking of there's gotta be something that the kids will bonker out about <laughs> and like you, you you have to when when i read that line my mind immediately goes to the tim rogers voice it, there's gotta be something that the kids will bonker out about yeah tim rogers is um i like him a lot his metal gear 2 article meant a lot to me as a teenager so like yeah, I'm really I'm excited to play this. I've been wanting. I've heard about I heard about this game a long time ago and didn't think about it for a long time, and then I saw that it was coming back out, and I was like, ooh, ooh okay. Uh, there's also this sentence in the sort of like humorously overwrought intro of the Final Fantasy type game. Expectational of the hero's entrance, the people prayed with an almost religious fervor. <laughs> <laughs> Expectational. <laughs> <laughs> that oh that that makes my heart sing yeah and it, it's a very you know fun little game i've been enjoying it i also got arrest of a stone buddha which is basically it's by the same guy who did uh friends of ringo ishikawa it's like a hitman simulator so you're basically it's basically like the samurai but it's a video game and the first thing is you assassinate a guy in a church and you have to make your way out and it involves shooting about i'd say 200 people at bare minimum i have uh. not gotten through it yet because it is very intense yeah it's like hotline miami but a side scroller i'm down for that uh so you, yeah you that posted, moon, you posted some Ringo pictures Shikawa, of that I've also been enjoying Puyo Puyo Tetris. That, so, um, now I don't want to say it because you pronounced it differently and now I'm afraid I'm pronouncing it wrong. Uh, Puyo. Uh, Ponyo Ponyo Tetris, uh, <laughs> is a game that I watch a lot of online. I watch a lot of people, I watch just Puyo Puyo a lot. I watch a lot of, and I thought like, oh man, I desperately want to play that game. I think that's the coolest looking fucking thing in the world. I want to get really good at it. 
and I eventually got it, and I'm so fucking bad at it. I don't know how to be good. Oh, same. I don't, I don't know how to be even passable. I don't know. Fucking I'm yeah. The combination of Puyo Puyo and Tetris is just oof. But like the individual Puyo Puyo and the individual Tetris, I'm much better at individually than I am the combination. Like yes. I'm like I'd say you know a solid three out of five at Tetris and like a maybe a two point five out of five at Puyo Puyo, but uh-huh. at the combination I'm like a one point five out of five. I'm at the Tetris. I'm at the Puyo Puyo. <laughs> I'm at the combination. The combination made my eyes bleed. <laughs> All right. Uh. We're probably going to take like a little break from Grant Morrison before we do Flex Mentallo. I would even like though that. I'm very excited to do a Flex Mentallo episode. I'm very, very excited. Yeah, Fle- and, you know, Shane's going to be in Massachusetts for a while, so good luck, stay safe. Massachusetts. Don't get your town burned down if the heat win. Massachusetts. <laughs> oh god i'm so excited i think that's gonna be a fun trip i really hope um i really hope the celtics bring it back so i can text you more pictures of bill simmons i went on he's Snap- going to massachusetts gonna drive up the interstate i went on uh checking Snap- out tourist attractions gonna buy some souvenirs i went on snapchat today for the first time in a while uh because i heard they have an anime filter that you can put on pictures that are in your uh photo album and i did some anime face bill simmons that i can text you when the celtics win next uh oh god go boston sports go red sox go celtics go um go bruins save us dot jimmy buckets save us dot tyler hero ty harrow academia forever you cannot you cannot have a heroes and villains like an anti-basketball villain philosophy when you're also a Clippers fan. I think that's fucking insane. Hey, I'm just saying that the guy's name is literally Hero. <laughs> like, it's pronounced Tyler Hero. I'm not projecting anything onto that. It's Chris's son. <laughs> Tyler's oh. awesome. As hot as oh. it gets. I, I, I'm still kind of sore about the Clippers losing because it could have been a, a really nice underdog story where Kawhi, you know, he wanted to go home to LA. He, you know, for, forwent the, the easy money ticket. He went to another hard luck franchise that had never won anything. You know, he got, uh, he took this crew of lovable losers, including Paul George, who is, uh, I, as much as I like him, I have to admit he's kind of a flake. And you know, they almost did it. They were second in the conference, below only the Lakers, and they almost did it. A miracle had to happen to stop them. A team coming back from three-one deficits twice in a row. The oh. only thing that could stop them was a miracle like that. And you know what? Godspeed what? to Jamal Murray and Jokic. What? What? What's the matter, Kawhi Kun? Could it be your? Losing to the Nuggies? <laughs> Motherfucker. Was that, was that good? Was that a good one? <laughs> oh, Jesus God. Christ. That was good. I'm happy with that one. Oh. Well, thank you again, Dom, for coming on. Uh, I really loved your latest video on Antebellum. 
Where Thank else you. can we find you yeah, online I liked, other than I liked, the Armchair Archer on I liked YouTube? That video. I like that video a lot, too. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm on Twitter at AllNewDom. It's probably the easiest place to find me. And obviously on YouTube with the Armchair Archer. I love having, I love being on with you all. So thank you very much. We love having you on, too. You can you find are- me at F-U-C-K-I-N-A-L-P-A-M-A-R-E. You can find my music at neiljacobi.bandcamp.com. And I'm going to be on an upcoming episode of the We Need to Talk About Kevin podcast, talking about Batman Cacophony and Batman the Widening Gyre. So that's going to be fun. I do a surprisingly passable Joker voice. I I wish we were set up so that we could be covering Kevin Smith Batman on the podcast, because, God, there's so much to talk about. So much. Um, You can find me at uh, the Shane Blep. Also, um... Look for, keep an eye out on this Ball Talk Mature Listeners podcast Twitter page because um, we're going to be having an announcement soon on something, something I'm very excited about. Um, it's uh, kind of my baby right now. Um, so yeah, stay tuned uh, in the coming days. Uh, I don't have anything else to plug. Um. Well, until next time, Tailwinds. Tailwinds. Come on, folks!